Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old soundtracks for some reason. Nicholas. Christopher. Caleb. And this week, I believe that uh, Nick has a pick for us. I got a pick for us, guys. I've got the soundtrack to Cameron Crowe's 1992 film, Singles. Yeah! Hey! Cameron (laughs) Crowe! This is only our second Cameron Crowe film that we've covered, I think, Mm -hmm. after uh, Vanilla Sky. That's right. That's right. Yeah. This was an early Cameron Crowe flick and uh, one that I've always wanted to see. It's always been on my list. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's about grunge. It's about love. It's about a lot of things in the early (laughs) nineties. Yeah. Yeah, This is, I think, his second uh, film that he directed, Mm -hmm. and it is a very Seattle film, which is something that makes me very homesick. It's also a film that came out when I was eleven, ten or eleven. So it's. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was (laughs) just a soundtrack and film that you guys were familiar with. I, um, this was definitely when people found out I was doing a soundtrack podcast. A lot of people mentioned this. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people say this one goes hand in hand with reality bites as far as like yeah. it's the lesser known reality. Somehow yeah. reality bites won, uh, the competition between the two, but they're very similar movies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, um, I had never seen this movie and I watched it for the oh, first okay. time in preparation for this. So I'd definitely seen it before I rewatched it for the soundtrack. I guess I hadn't seen it in a long time. Yeah. It's a soundtrack that's kind of very highly regarded and, uh, I hadn't listened to it in a while, so I'm excited to review it. You guys want to jump into track one? Let's, Let's do it. it. This is Alice in Chains with Wood. We are back in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was never a huge Alice in Chains fan growing up, uh, even though, you know, Seattle band, I think uh, with Portland connections. But uh, re-listening to the song for this uh, episode, it got me kind of pumped up. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was like, this is a fucking it's jam. A bad track. <laughs> Alice in Chains is in the movie. They've got a couple of appearances. Yeah, yeah. 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 This is their uh, second song they play in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. The, uh, apparently they refused to um do playback for this song so they performed it live and that's what you hear in the movie which weird line in the sand to do (laughs) we're gonna do it but we're gonna do it live yeah yeah i guess so (laughs) it's funny like one of the things that kind of occurred to me about this film over over when i was watching it is that uh it's a you know it's a film about dating and it's a movie that i think is very uh cemented in time because of it was kind of the first grunge movie i guess i don't know it's like a it was movie even before grunge was the word yeah it was like they they shot it and then they were having a trouble like releasing it and that's when nirvana broke and all of a sudden the seattle music scene became like the biggest thing and then that's right and yeah. then the movie was kind of uh was skyrocketed by by that association and and it's like a it's it's an earned association there's a ton of great musicians in the movie and something interesting with this soundtrack which i don't know how true this would be for other films but uh you know this soundtrack came out uh a little bit before the movie was released it came out mm-hmm. uh, three or four months prior to the film yeah so that it was already getting built up 
because uh, I think Pearl Jam, who I think when they made the movie, Eddie Vedder's in the movie. I think mm-hmm. half of Pearl Jam, or maybe uh, even more than half of Pearl Jam, is yeah. in the film. Jeff Amant and Stone Gossard. Gossard, um, Stone Gossard. But I think that they filmed the movie before Pearl Jam's first album came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is before yeah. 10. And yeah. so 10 came out and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, we just got to get this soundtrack out and get some buzz and force the fucking studio to release this movie. <laughs> but this is what I was going to say about the, the soundtrack as it relates to the film, which is I think that the movie benefits from having all this great 90s music and it's like it, you feel like you're really in this world and this time. But 90s grunge music, kind of like Prague, it's not really about there's no love songs for the yeah. most part. Yeah. There's not, it's, it's like kind of, it's like songs about fucking school shooters and weird, it's like a lot esoteric. Of doom and gloom. It's a lot of like weird esoterica as far as like what the music's about. And so there are scenes where characters are supposed to be <laughs> down in the dumps and like, I just got to go out there and I'm like grieving this relationship. And then they're like listening to like fucking Alice in Chains, yeah. like singing about the rooster. the rooster. <laughs> And they're just like thinking about their girlfriend. It's like, no, that's that doesn't really track. <laughs> but I still love it because it's it was in my DNA. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I think part of it is because you know maybe if you were um, in your twenties in nineteen ninety one, you would be like, oh fucking yeah, I remember. I just like I had to go to the club and just dance to you know mother love bone it's like what <laughs> yeah. it's like, just gotta dance. clear my head let's just go dancing girls tonight and it's like yeah. <laughs> they're constantly talking about it's like where's this club it's like we gotta get to the club and they get there and it's just like sound garden yeah you're like what <laughs> yeah and um i will say allison change plays another song uh at the club called it ain't like that and this is where um steve and linda would eventually meet up Club That's right. DeSoto. DeSoto. <laughs> yeah. There's something about it's something about this movie. Maybe it's like Campbell Scott with his haircut. And everybody, even though I know that these even the actors are way younger than I am now, um, everybody just kind of seems old. The main characters seem old. I was saying the same thing to Nick before this. Okay. And so it's like this meet cute at a fucking Alice in Chains show and these two <laughs> preppies like bump into each other. Yeah. I was like, oh, I work for, I'm, I'm sit planning a train. <laughs> I build trains? What do you do? Like, imagine trying to, like, start up conversation in the middle of a Alice in Chains concert and being like, so do you come here often? I'm an engineer. <laughs> just imagine being, like, Lane Staley on stage and you're just out of your mind on heroin and you look out in the audience in this small club in Seattle and you see this, this guy in a fucking... Jacket being like, uh, so my my buddy and I had a uh, we had a debate about whether it's also wearing like one of the, those ridiculous stocking caps. Yeah, was like a big uh, thing part of the grunge fashion. The wide brim beanie sort yeah. of thing. That's like really like what is happening? Like long brim, long brim beanie. But I think it works well. Campbell Scott's character, Steve. Like I, I've got a lot to say. I'll, I'll oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I have questions about uh, Steve. All right, uh, Nikki. What do we got next? Let's do some of track number two. This is Pearl Jam with Breath.
So that is, um, I think that was a track that was not, it didn't make it onto 10, but it was from the, uh, from the recording sessions for their first album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got a couple of Pearl Jam tracks that are going to show up, and yeah, they're both yeah. pre-10. Uh, yeah. I'm, on the, I'm not, on the record for bad. kind of yeah. uh, shitting on Pearl Jam as being like a 90s band that, in my mind, never made it out of the 90s, or mm-hmm. they were so quintessentially 90s that it was hard for them to like... You know, they're not like Radiohead where they seem like they've stayed super current like decade after decade. Uh, but this, you know, Pearl Jam's fucking great. And I should say that Eddie Vedder, who's like a pretty big part of this movie, yeah. um, playing Eddie Vedder, a drummer, yeah. uh, is really good. He's good. <laughs> he's like, really good. He can act. <laughs> Especially this, to think it's that he's natural. in this movie before, I think, Pearl Jam ever released a song. Yeah. It's it's wild to think about like the number of bands that blew up that are in this movie. Yeah. And like to think about what that would look like in today's world, it'd be like if like I don't know, like the odd future group was like hanging out in a movie and then like two years later they all became like millionaires. You know, millionaires. And like, stuff. wait yeah. a minute, the, the guy in the coffee shop, that's fucking Frank Ocean. You're yeah, like, yeah that's Frank Ocean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, to uh, Eddie Vedder, there's a scene where he's He's reading a review of like one of their shows, <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and and he's trying not to uh, bring it to Matt Dillon. He's like, I only want the positive stuff, and it's like, um, <laughs> you never want to hurt the lead singer's feelings. Yeah. It's also do the, the most scathing review ever. It's a uh, Citizen Dick is the, is the fictitious band, yeah. and Matt Dillon is the front man. It's Cliff. Matt Dillon with um with three guys from fucking Pearl Jam, <laughs> and uh, the hilarious thing is that through the entire movie, none of the other people in the band get a shit about being in the band matt yeah. dylan's the only one with any angst of like we need to be bigger and any of us like yeah i don't know <laughs> apparently the, 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 cl- the clothes that matt dylan is wearing in the movie are borrowed from uh the other guy from pearl jam not yeah, yeah. eddie vetter yeah, jeff yeah. amend yeah, yeah yeah jeff yeah. amend he's yeah. like yeah here's some of my clothes if you want to like be authentic <laughs> it makes like, so much sense because yeah we were laughing at his clothes They're insane it seems like oh it's no wearing, it's like, the best it's wearing, like long johns <laughs> and then like boxers over the yeah. like quail man style like <laughs> underwear over the long johns Dude, that was the <laughs> that was the look that was the look man that was the 90s uh i guess at some point like during this time mark jacobs was being hailed by the uh, new york times as the uh, the guru of grunge <laughs> which like it's kind of like you know eye roll we're talking about eddie vedder a little bit and it's reminding me of my favorite portlandia sketch mm. it's the one where uh carrie's trying to <laughs> find a guy to go on a date with she's with this guy in the park and she's like oh you got a tattoo on your arm what is that and he pulls it up and it's a tattoo of Eddie Vedder playing two yeah, tambourines. He's tambourines. <laughs> and she's like, uh, and he's like, yeah, you, you like Pearl Jam? She's like, yeah, when I was in like middle school, or high school. <laughs> Not she's that like, much. did you get that when you were a kid? He's like, no, I got it like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and then they do cut and Carrie's on a date with Eddie Vedder. Yeah. And uh, Eddie Vedder has a tattoo of Annie DeFranco on his arm. <laughs> Pretty great. Yeah, man. Uh, wait, was it Pearl Jam that only did the Target release? Am I crazy? Oh, I don't know. What is that, that? that does sound right. It was like it's they, one of their albums. They, they did like a Target exclusive. They thought all the other record like places were ripping them off, and so they only did. They did, yeah, oh, they did a Target exclusive. Like maybe that was, was Vitology. Was that somebody else? Maybe you can. Pearl Jam has. They've made a bunch of. I think probably principled stands against like Ticketmaster and shit, which yes. I appreciate. Yeah, they yeah, were one of like in the '90s when all bands were just like living off of the fat of land. They were the ones who were like, wait, this seems kind of. Fun fucked up right yeah they wanted to always keep their ticket 60%. sales like twenty dollars or below or something like yeah. that yeah. yeah yeah 
Rock on, Pearl Jam. I think that they're a great 90s band that, you know, they're a 90s band. <laughs> this song is playing, uh, there's a demo version that plays in one part, but the, you hear this version uh, right before the car wreck. So we're skipping around a little bit, but there's a big car wreck that happens. But the, um, the breathe in parentheses and a scream uh, was the demo. Um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And that was playing when um, Janet, who we haven't talked about, uh, who uh, is Bridget Fonda, oh. is like, are my breasts too small, Matt Dillon? And he's like, ah, ah, what do you want me to say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he goes, uh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Like, oh, Jesus. For me, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Just like, weirdo. I'll just say no, you I piece mean, of crap. Okay, there's one thing. So Matt Dillon, um, it's funny, his character... In rewatching the film, I had I had forgotten completely that there was so much straight to camera like uh, first season Sex in the City things. Yeah, where I don't know if it works either. It doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, but it's it's nice that it's something different than like um, you know like say Reality Bites. It's like it's definitely a more um, thoughtfully put together film. I feel like. Well, they they do it like twice and then they forget about it for a yeah. long time and they bring it back. And they bring it back and people and so Matt Dillon's character for the first three quarters of the film is like almost like comedic relief yeah and then for the the last part it's i guess is they kind of like uh there's like hints that his band breaks up mm-hmm. he's like i'm always been a solo artist anyway yeah and i think that he's like you see him he's putting out mixtapes under a different name or something so i think yeah. maybe uh pearl jams left him behind yeah and maybe that gives <laughs> him like a, like a new sense of humility but he all of a sudden becomes a self-aware character who's like a pretty cool dude who just delivers uh flowers yeah yeah uh but there's <laughs> if there's a theme to this movie uh, i'm definitely getting ahead of myself but it's a theme of men like losing everything every professional dignity that they have <laughs> and being humbled and then being like i really miss my girlfriend <laughs> yeah, yeah. i i also thought it, uh for a second there i thought cameron crow had a bone to pick with some like like solo guys or like the lead singers <laughs> oh, of, yeah. cause i'm sure he just knew he's so in, many he's in the movie did you see him yeah, in the movie yeah he's interviewing cliff at, at one point yeah, uh, yeah. during the rock shows but um you know for a second there it's like you can tell cameron crow has just met a lot of douchebag <laughs> like lead singers and it's like these guys suck and they treat their girlfriends like crap and you know who those girls should really go for are rock journalists guys like <laughs> guys that are smart and write up <laughs> yeah, he moved to seattle a few years before he made this movie and uh yeah, just fell in love with the scene and yeah, wanted right. to just do this you know big tribute to something that he loved yeah i think originally like he had been shopping the script around since the 80s and it was set in uh arizona or something yeah tucson or something yeah. one of the characters uh janet is from tucson there's fucking vampires yeah, everywhere Bridget <laughs> Should we get into track number three? Let's, Let's do, it. do it. Chris Cornell, Seasons. It's funny to hear Chris Cornell do, uh, I'd say, like a very uh, passable, like Delta Blues. A lot of these bands on here are 90s bands that I guess, 
you know, I was in high school in the later 90s. And then, so I think I was a fans of them when they were in their indulgent phases and then uh, was around to experience their like, uh, you know, their later stages that people didn't need to hear. Yeah, he's kind of doing <laughs> like a, uh, his take on a track from like Led Zeppelin 3. Yeah, I was going to say this yeah. sounds like a song that Led Zeppelin would steal and not pay royalties for. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bluesy, you know, homage. Yeah, but it's like a lot of the grudge, like... This is a famous soundtrack and it's, you know, it's bands that I, I feel like I'm very, very familiar with growing up in the Northwest. But uh, coming back and listening to it, I was like pleasantly surprised by almost all of it. Yeah. And this is a track that I, I like quite a bit. I do too. And um, I always sort of held Chris Cornell's voice um, as the, maybe the best voice in grunge. I thought he had a, a bit stronger vocals than... Eddie Vedder and the Allison Chains and, and that sort of thing. I think I think he had like a, a pure um, timbre to his voice, if I can say that. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the the musician over here, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at a, a track that I have pulled up. <laughs> this is pretty funny. This is uh, Paul Anka. Yeah. You guys familiar with this? <laughs> Why don't this you give us some background on Paul Anka? Uh, Paul Anka was like a came to prominence in like the late fifties, early sixties as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote a song called "The Teen Commandments," yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous. You can look that up. But uh, he does have an album where he does uh, kind of like jazzy swing versions of modern rock songs, mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's got a version of Black Hole Sun, and it smells like Teen Spirit as well. But let's hear a little piece of uh, Paul Anka doing Black Hole Sun. Walking sleep and my youth I pray to keep Heaven send hell away No one sings like you anymore Black Hole Sun, won't you come Wash away the rain, black hole. Don't forget to uh, tip your waitress, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I should say for for the older listeners and the younger listeners that Chris Cornell is the lead singer of Soundgarden. Yes, yes. A uh, formative '90s grunge act out of Seattle, and then later Audio Slave. And Chris Cornell was he's in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think originally Cameron Crowe wanted him to be the Matt Dillon character. Yes. And Matt Dillon, they wanted Matt Dillon to be the Campbell, Campbell Scott Scott's character. That's correct. You can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. tracks. And Matt Dillon turned down the Campbell Scott character. He's just like, nah, just well, <laughs> Johnny Depp turned down that role yeah. at one point, I guess. I, I understand why they would turn down that role. And actually, I, I don't know anything about Campbell Scott. I, he's a character actor, but like he's not in a ton after this. No, like, he's, he's been working. Okay, excuse me. He's been in a ton, but nothing yeah. uh, as big, I don't think. Mm. Um, I could I, I could be standing. Nirvana. Corrected, Nirvana also turned down involvement with the movie and the soundtrack. Yeah. And um, I guess at some point after they wrapped shooting... Uh, the studio, while they were sitting on it, they thought about changing the name from singles to Come As You Are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I guess Cameron Crowe didn't want to bend on that for uh, good reason. Well, uh, Cameron Crowe was a big Nirvana fan. He approached them, they turned it down, and then I, the, the story I heard is uh, Kurt Cobain snuck into the premiere. Somebody let him in the exit door. And he like watched it standing in the back and then kind of slipped out. And Cameron Crowe's like, oh, I do think it's just magical that he was there. <laughs> and then like apparently Nirvana <laughs> turned it down because they're like, yeah, we didn't want like our music on like a love movie. And like we're not into like rock and roll movies. And you're like, 
all right, man, all your friends are in it. Yeah, <laughs> like, it kind of. I, I see the point, though, because it's, you know, it doesn't, the music is discordant from, from the movie. That's true. And that's, like, never really addressed. Yeah. And it's, it also it's the, the backdrop. The uh, the musician character in the movie is a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. This song, uh, the Chris Cornell season song, is playing uh, when Tom Skerritt says no to the super train <laughs> that uh, Steve is pitching him. He, he yeah, has, he wants to build this like super kind of monorail train that's going to like serve the best lattes in town. <laughs> <laughs> really focused no on, one's like, on board with it the train amenities he's like look if the train is nice no talk about like the emissions and like how much better for the the world this would be but. oh my god okay i've got many different angles to come at this topic from one okay there's there's a grand tradition in romantic comedies of like very unrealistic workplace situations mm-hmm. and then in this movie campbell scott is i guess a young hotshot civil engineer but he seems to be working Just engineer engineer he's like working in an open office he comes in everybody's like giving him high fives and fucking butt slaps like he's some young swinging dick and uh and then he's he's got this train idea he's always looking at these computer screens but whenever he's pitching anybody he's just talking about music and coffee because it's like a seattle idea yeah and then it's like this idea where he keeps like trying to get conversations with the mayor or whatever mm-hmm. and as soon as uh the mayor passes it seems like he gets maybe gets fired, fired yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's the company so- goes under. It's like, wait, what? what? Like, who's paying this guy's wages? <laughs> Look, I'm not going to act like I know a lot about um, train engineering. Uh, <laughs> go, but, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> yeah, thank you. As, as a, as a uh, armchair expert in this, I don't think he would be put on like a payroll just to design a train just to pitch it to the mayor and then the mayor would be like what what is this what are you talking about like this would have been something that they had like been commissioned to do from like a city government and like he probably moved to seattle to like you know work on this project for years to like you know to i mean we can split hairs over this but it's a ridiculous situation that the mayor had never heard of this idea like a train what are you talking about? No. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I don't know how old Campbell Scott's character is supposed to be, but uh, people are always making references to having recently been in college, mm-hmm. and he runs into a guy that he went to college with, who is Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven. Uh, and <laughs> Jeremy Piven back when he didn't have hair, he's yeah. like he looks older than he does now. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, insane. <laughs> Pre plugs. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's like, I don't know how old Campbell, but it's like. So he seems to be the lone person spearheading some sort of train project. And I should say, coming from the Northwest, in Seattle, uh, all right, there's a famous uh, Simpsons episode about the monorail that Conan O'Brien wrote. And it's monorail. like this uh, this yeah, huckster. Maybe the most famous Simpsons episode it's one like, could say. It's mm-hmm. a parody, I guess, of like the Music Man or it's some it's yeah. a it's a musical comes to town. He's trying to sell him on a monorail that nobody needs. And Seattle has a monorail that was never expanded upon so it's like this very short run monorail and it's kind of like one of the saddest things in like uh in the missed potential of of like uh you know public transportation maybe in the united states in general yeah and so the idea that this city that needs public transportation and has like neglected the idea of this monorail that they never followed up upon and like wasted a bunch of money on and then this fucking guy is trying to talk to the mayor about fucking coffee and grunge music <laughs> <laughs> Tom Skerritt Mayor is just like, no, no. man. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Where I grew up in Houston, they uh, they built a pretty pointless train 
It's called the uh, the light rail, and uh, yeah. just ba- you know, barely served a purpose. It was running over cars. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of bad public transportation. I've been to Houston before, and the one thing I noticed is there was like no sidewalks. Yeah. Wait, we're turning into the MTA <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We better move on yeah, to the next track. Got, <laughs> yeah, we've been on Chris Cornell for a while here. <laughs> track four, Paul Westerberg, dyslexic heart. Right, we're getting into uh, some interesting territory here with uh, Paul Westerberg. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about on the podcast before. Yeah. He was the uh, former frontman for The Replacements mm-hmm. with their song Can't Hardly Wait, which we did on our very first episode. Very first episode, yeah. And, uh, you know, this music is very Friends. And, you know, this movie <laughs> itself predates Friends and was definitely an inspiration for the show. But, um, yeah, Paul Westerberg contributed two songs to this soundtrack and he also did uh, some of the score elements for the film mm-hmm. but uh, this music kind of you know played against some of the the grunge that we're listening to makes for uh, there's a little bit of a rub yeah it's a pretty, little bit of a rub this is this jangly. is the love story side yes. you know coming into play i think that that is i think the reason why these songs exist is because there are very few grunge songs about love and like what do yeah. you do I was trying to think it's like what maybe do do? What do you do? like uh, early STP interstate love song, but that that's actually even later than this. Um, Caleb, uh, STP for the uh, for the young listeners and maybe older listeners. Stone Temple Pilots. Stone Temple Pilots. Um, so this <laughs> Paul Westerberg, I like quite a bit. I actually like the songs. Yeah. You guys were <laughs> you guys were bitching a little bit about these Paul Westerberg contributions hey, earlier on. on, and it's definitely okay. So I listened to the soundtrack in preparation for this episode before I rewatched the film, and I was like, these yeah, these are like all right. Mm-hmm. In the movie, so there's two two songs that he did for the film. That are very similar. This yes. is the song at the end of the film that yes. goes into the end credits. But it plays quite a bit throughout the film. There as well. are a lot of it almost acts as score. yeah. It's kind of a motif, and these this the sound is kind of repeating throughout the film. So when you're watching the <laughs> film, you do get a little fucking tired of this. Of this you, song. Hear you hear that melody like 20 times throughout the movie and we're gonna hear another song that sounds eerily similar to this and and then you hear an acoustic version of both of them (laughs) and the actual versions that's right uh but i like paul westerberg quite a bit i really like the replacements this is i should say the very first band on the soundtrack that's not a seattle act Mm. uh the replacements are out of minneapolis i believe interesting interesting that's right um one of the times this plays it introduces the janet character and she's working at a coffee shop, and oh, uh, Janet, she Janet, does Janet. the. Uh, she turns into the camera, and she's like, "I'm 23. <laughs> Can you believe how old I am?" Yeah, the fourth wall is and immediately like, broken. And you're like, "Oh man, I'm so much older than that, and my life is less together." She's like, "I'm running out of time to do something important." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, <laughs> while this song plays, there's a little nod to uh, Lester Bangs. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. She, uh, she delivers coffee to a person who's reading a book, um, and it's by Lester Bangs, who is the Rolling Stones author that many people may know, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman portrayed in Almost Famous. And almost Famous. Written by Cameron Crowe. And he was like a, that guy was literally a, a, a big like mentor to uh, actual Cameron Crowe, who was a rock journalist yeah. uh, as like a 12-year-old child. I did, I did catch in one scene where uh, Matt Dillon's character is like uh, plastering a telephone pole with like, you know, the gig, the yeah. gig poster. Yeah. One of the bands playing with them is listed as Stillwater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's he's had that in his brain for a while. Is old it, nod. Is it, yeah. Is it Shearwater in the, or what, is it still? Still, it still is Stillwater. Shearwater is, Shearwater the, is a uh, indie band like oh, yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should. There's like at one point you see a poster, and Citizen Dick was opening for uh, Blue Oyster Cult. That's right. I think that was the. Uh, good for them. That's yeah, a good gig. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good gig, man. <laughs> hey, man, Allison Chains in this world, Allison Chains is playing in a small club. Yeah, so. that's true. Uh, man, without Blue Oyster Cult, there'd be no uh, more cowbell. <laughs> there'd be no more cowbell sketch. Um, you mentioned Jeremy Piven earlier. Um, I looked up the music video for this. Uh, dyslexic at heart and jeremy piven is all over that music video (laughs) Um, that's very strange oh it's a great music it's it's one of those ones that like it looks like they kind of used one of the venues for the movie like the it had to have been the same like crew uh that did it because it's very well produced it looks like a whole movie in and of itself but you think there's going to be a lot of characters from the movie that make an appearance, but none of them do. <laughs> and like, Jeremy, Piven. Jeremy Piven's like the main character in this, um, in this music video, if there is any and, uh, or Paul Westerberg maybe is, but, um, yeah, he's like jan- dancing with his shirt off and yes, like hairline is crazy. <laughs> he's like chugging, he's throwing ice in his own face. It's, it's worth checking out. It's like, amazing. I think, I think it would be some pretty good blackmail, uh, to, you know, play at a roast for Jeremy Pitt. Yeah. You know, some gentle ribbing. But. All right, Nikki, what do we got next? Let's hear some of track number five. This is the love mongers with the battle of Evermore. got our first uh, cover our first cover mm-hmm. and it's not a bad cover i think it's actually a pretty good cover it's pretty, pretty good cover pretty faithful cover led zeppelin always a dangerous band to do a cover of but uh you know on the soundtrack it's credited to the love mongers but the love mongers is actually uh cameron crowe's wife's uh band heart yeah which yeah. is the wilson it's nancy just, wilson and ann wilson it's the wilson sisters uh seattle rock royalty and i do know as a pretty big Led Zeppelin fan, this Battle of Evermore is one of their kind of silly J.R.R. Tolkien yeah, yeah, lyrically was, or, oriented songs that always kind of made me eye roll as a kid. <laughs> it was a duet with uh, Denny... Or Sandy, Sand- Sandy Denny, I think. Sandy Denny from, she was uh, part of uh, uh, Fairport Convention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they... Um, the Battle of Evermore, I believe, is uh, like a loose reference to a battle in one of the Lord of the Rings books, the Battle of... Um, Aragorn or something like that and it's 
kind of like a homonym. Well, um, Aragorn oh, is a yep. character. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not quite sure what you're referring to right here. Uh, <laughs> this is always. It's a difficult song to cover because you have to go. You have. There's so much reading. You probably have to go back into the Sumerian and like really get the background. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's on another podcast. <laughs> I think we can. Turn <laughs> this song is playing when they're kind of talking. This was such a '90s thing, which was like you got to wait five days to call a girl, or four days. Oh or yeah, it was all about like the time period and getting the timing right. Yeah, it's, it's like, a message mach- answering machine tapes. Lots <laughs> of answering machines. Just dating in this movie. was a, a very different world then. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to talk to you guys about dating. This is obviously this is a good uh, you know ten fifteen years before I entered the dating world, mm-hmm. but the the idea of when you talk about like things that have been disrupted and changed in modern society, I, I don't think anything's been changed more than dating. Just the idea true. where it's like not only meeting people, you got to do it in person. And it's like, it's like the, so the most of the main characters live in this one apartment complex. And I guess it's introduced pretty early that they've all fucked each other. Yeah. It's all just like people you run into. And then at a certain point, it's, there's so much like trying to get people on the phone and leaving them messages and people missing messages. Yeah. And it's like now in the, in the age of cell phone, even without dating apps, it's like, if you text somebody, you know that they get it. Yeah. Like fucking Nikki here. I remember he had his red receipts on for years, which is like <sighs> stressful, inviting chaos into your life. I've got a couple of friends that still keep their read receipts on <laughs> and, and it, it makes me like want to say something, but you can't say something about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's. I, I would just rather not know. I yeah, would rather yeah. live in the fantasy just, world of like, maybe they didn't get it, and you know what? That's fine. Would you still want to see that it was delivered? Do you want the confirmation? I, I, I can't. You don't want to know anything. I can't go into any of this. It's going to just, yeah. like... So I, there's, like, a, this scene with uh, Bridget Fonda where she's, like, trying to decide whether to call. It's like, well, he's supposed to be here, and he's not here. He's late. I'm not going to call. Should I call? Should I call? And she's, like, doing this, like, weird... And it's like, uh, think about all that neuroses, like turned up 10 times, mm-hmm. just like looking at a little box in your hand, <laughs> being like, he saw it. He saw it. He just posted a photo yeah. at the club. There's somebody in the background. Who is this girl? Yeah. It's just, uh. There's so much added. Pr- I mean, w- well, also in this movie is the, um, the online, or, or excuse me, the VHS dating oh, yeah, the service. Debut. Which is, uh, yeah. Which is crazy. Back, th- back then you are like, that is the. There's so much stigma attached. Like, can you believe that somebody's trying to just meet strangers to date? Well, I mean, that, <laughs> that, you are another level of desperate in the yeah. 90s if you go to a VHS dating service, which is like a shame. And like, we should, we should bring that back. Yeah, bring it back. What just old school do? VHS yeah. style. <laughs> Um, I do think Steve acts if you look at his actions on paper okay he meets a girl at a club she kind of goes like no no thank you and he's like whatever and they kind of see her after the club and then his friends like we're going wherever you're going and they're like no thanks goodbye then he sees her at the magazine stand and he's like I'm following you (laughs) isn't this a crazy coincidence such a creep there's a Uh, lot of like high risk like when uh, he he doesn't kiss her and then she goes home and he just shows up shows up at her home did she like casually mention her address we don't know that I mean you assume okay address things I got an address thing for you that's like very when Cameron Crowe was filming this he had no he had no idea what the future was going to be like where when the woman goes on the date with the the bicycle messenger from the uh, the video dating service yes 
They've set up a date at a restaurant. She goes to the wrong restaurant. She gets to the real restaurant late. <laughs> and the maitre d' or the hostess is like, oh, yeah, he said that he, uh, the video dating service gave them your address and he went there. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> can you imagine a dating service that you can just be like, oh, uh, I got stood up. Could you just give me the home address? <laughs> that is so, so terrifying. Well, he also shows up to her work at one point. Oh. <laughs> like, whoa, man. Like, showing up to a, like, even, I've been dating uh, my girlfriend for quite a while, and if I showed up to her work for any reason, she'd be like, what are you doing? Get, you get out of here. I think I dated Steph for I'm gonna say five years before uh, she like brought me to her work. Yeah, I mean it's just you don't do it unannounced. You just don't do it unannounced. Yeah. You give a heads up. Do you guys want to hear some of track number six? Please. <laughs> this is Mother Love Bone with Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Like a lady. Now you're a substitute teacher. This bottle's not a pretty, not a pretty. I owe the man some money So I'm turning over, honey Say, Mr. Fatal Glory is a once again a doing time yeah. And this is my kind of love It's the kind of So Mother Love Bone, it's funny, this is a band that I always used to hear about. And I guess the impetus for uh, setting this film in Seattle has to do with Mother Love Bone, which is um, the lead singer died of a heroin overdose, right, as they were kind of about to break a little bit. And it became this big, um, this big kind of a way where the Seattle music scene came together, where there was a tribute album or a kind of a charity album uh, put together to benefit the lead singer's family and that's that was temple of the dog turned out to be temple of the dog yeah temple of the dog was grunge before grunge was even grunge (laughs) which uh i think that was chris cornell right with the the surviving members of mother love bone and also they brought in eddie vetter to do uh vocals or he was just kind of around and they're like you want to do some background vocals i still listen listen to hunger strike yeah they ended up doing an entire album and that was how eddie vetter met uh who would become his band members uh or fellow band members for pearl jam and that that first track we heard on the soundtrack uh wood by alice and chains is a little bit of play on words as a tribute to the late andrew wood yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. everybody loved it you know yeah i'm not a big um, but you can see in the film, there's like uh, murals, like in the early parts, they like pan across. There's like a mother love bone mural. And I don't know, it's kind of crazy. Oh, that's right. At the beginning when she goes outside and she realizes that she's been kind of uh, played by the foreign exchange. Dude, that, <laughs> Louise. That con. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's, 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 there's tropes in uh, romantic comedies where it's like, why, why, why one of the characters doesn't want to get uh, serious. And it's like, ah, oh, I've been burnt and this and that. And it's always kind of like, eh, okay. And this one, it's like, that is a brutal burn. Mm. The way that that guy... I, I don't understand. Not cool, man. I don't understand the grift, <laughs> really. Like, there's so much um, uh, deceit involved for, like, not the biggest payoff, I guess. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. So, <laughs> it's, it's a foreign exchange out. student. It's a, a Spanish guy. He doesn't look very Spanish, so maybe he's not even Spanish. Maybe that's part of the grift. Eh, he's, like, European Spanish. So, he's studying at a University of Washington, and then 
which they call a UW. UW. Yeah, they call it UW. That's where my family all went to school. <laughs> yeah, but, um, all right. Such a funny like. In- we actually call it UW here. Oh, okay. okay. All right. I go to the U of. Yeah, he goes there. He knows what it's called. <laughs> He's obviously a liar. But uh, <laughs> so he tells him it's like, oh, my visa runs out in a week. We yeah. only have a week. Yeah. Honestly, in love. you know what? That's in actually 90s, pretty good. It's grift. a That's it's a great, great grift because you put the clock on. You're out the door and everything. Just, if Campbell Scott had been like, oh, by the way, I'm like moving out of the country in a week, she probably would have, wouldn't have been like, eh, I don't know. I'm just here to do laundry for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Which was, they, yeah, they, they never really... have, yeah, they cut out a part where they explain the laundry. Um, but yeah, oh, and then she later sees Louise, uh, and there's a song that plays during the betrayal, but um, she sees him out at a club, like, with another woman, and he just kind of acts like he doesn't see her, and he's like, uh, you he, got me. He does a really good job of, like, a dickheaded, like, <laughs> across the bar. <laughs> you got me. So gross. <laughs> is Louise, Louise the female lead? That's Kira Sedgwick. Yeah. Um, we should say. Is. No, no, no. Louise is the, the foreign exchange student. Uh, oh, okay. Her name's Linda. Linda. Yeah. Um, she's pretty good in this. She seems middle aged, even though she's not. Mm-hmm. She's twenty seven in real life in this movie. <laughs> okay, yep. I believe you. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, the hair. Uh, there's something about Jennifer Jason Lee also auditioned for that role, and um, was originally going to play Linda. I'm not sure what happened. Hollywood legends. This song, Chloe Dancer slash Crown of Thorns, is playing mm-hmm. when uh, Steve and his friend are in the car on the way to the club. And he's like, check out my Gore-Tex watch. I can put 20 numbers in my Gore-Tex watch. And you're like, oh, how quaint your technology. Oh, did you guys uh, get a good look at that mime? They, yeah. They pick up a mime, a mime wow. to get directions to the secret club. It's almost like it's fucking Charlie Day from Always Sunny. That's oh, uh, Mr. Eric Stoltz. It's fucking Eric Stoltz. Eric yeah. Stoltz. Lost out on Back to the Future, but got to play the mime in this one. In singles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of good shots where he's pretending to smoke a cigarette and then smoke yeah. comes out of his mouth. Yeah, he's, like, he's, that's, he's talking, but that's a good mime. He's, he's a great mime. He, he does a pretty funny choice. To, he, he's screaming in the back of the car. So the, <laughs> the mime, you know, they're like, where's Club DeSoto? And then uh, this song's playing. And then uh, when he gets in the car, it plays again. And it like cuts to later. And uh, he's just the loudest human being ever. It's pretty funny. You guys want to hear something? Track number seven. Yeah, let's, do, let's it. do it. This is Soundgarden with Birth Ritual. listening to this track and also the track the mother mother love bone track before it it's this is like such early grunge uh, earlier than i like listen to regularly it's it's interesting to make more of a connection between like guns and roses and you know maybe like uh i don't know megadeth or you know there's like a metal it's like sounds more in line with like what was happening in the 80s you're like oh it makes sense that grunge wasn't like a completely like i feel like nirvana felt like it was just something out of nowhere mm. like the first time i heard it in yeah. pearl jam too but some of this stuff you're like oh yeah yeah you're saying it kind of dovetails into the more like it seems more Megadeth organic where you're like Metallica i see what they were like chris cornell was definitely doing like a metal 
and then it became more grunge when that became the scene. Yeah, I, I always thought grunge was sort of a reaction to uh, hair metal stuff. And, the, you know, one of the reasons why there's no love songs is because they were like, fuck those ballads that every hair metal band does. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, the, every hair metal band would have that one, or every album would have that one uh, ballad that would right. be the radio play. Well, yeah, like punk rock was like a, a very distinct rejection of like prog rock when people were writing like 12 minute like uh, organ solo, like weird cantata things. Yeah. And it's like, we need to bring it back to like a three and a half minute like fuck you yeah like two chord and then like two, uh minute and 30 seconds <laughs> some of this yeah, yeah. and then uh grunge is like a you know the, you know when we talk about like authenticity and keeping it real and not selling out mm-hmm. like uh hair metal was all about like we need to sell out as quick as possible <laughs> yeah. put on that makeup let's get out there and like <laughs> you know we spend more time primping our hair than we do like like at a rehearsal and then you know grunge is like the opposite of that where it's like mm-hmm. we're just like well we're gonna keep the long hair we're just gonna yeah. be like smelly cavemen yeah. and just <laughs> dress like is, you know north yeah. uh, northwestern loggers when you listen to the soundgarden track it's like <laughs> oh yeah like the music isn't that much of a leap from like a, you know it is better than motley Crue, but it's not yeah. like that much different than like a motley you crew. do see soundgarden play this song in the in the film yeah mm-hmm. this is towards the end it's uh, a pretty ridiculous scene actually pretty ridiculous scene <laughs> chris cornell looks crazy in the movie it sounds like he's singing in a completely different key yeah in the verses it's uh, like what is happening <laughs> we think this uh nick and i were saying this might be a, another uh symptom of them being like we gotta film it live and you gotta use that take we won't do think, playback i mean i uh, think it works right. in the movie oh, yeah, like it absolutely. seems no it seems real but. there's nothing worse when like a even in this one where it's like the club scene and it's like fucking allison chains is just wailing and then it yeah. people like style up they're like hey nice to meet you and it's like you can't don't pretend like you can hear anything out there. Yeah, this is uh, Steve barricaded in the, um, the, oh, yeah. the phone the phone room. It's uh, a good scene. And he's like pouring oh, his heart out to a message that will never be received. This is like the, probably the first time in the movie where somebody seems visibly drunk. And yeah. he's like, he's like sad drunk at the club and he's calling uh, his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And there's a line of like (laughs) drunken '90s dickheads trying to like go to the bathroom, but it's it's not a bathroom. (laughs) Like we're not trying to go. We're trying to do drugs. (laughs) We need a room to do drugs, please. (laughs) You're hogging the drug room. Apparently, uh, this story was recounted by a couple of uh, people that I read up on. But when they were film, when Cameron Crowe was filming the uh, Alice in Chains like concert scenes, which I think was filmed at the DeSoto, was across the street from the OK Hotel. And while they were filming, Nirvana apparently played "Smells Like Teen Spirit" for the first time live at the OK Hotel while they were filming. So it was just like these like stars coming together. Yeah. 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 I mean, it kind of summed up a time, you know, time capsule. I mean, this movie really is, you talk about the connections of like all these things happening, uh, at this moment in time and i mean it's it's amazing that it was captured <laughs> i think right. it's funny uh, yeah like when we described we did an episode uh, dedicated to this uh saturday night fever soundtrack which is kind of like the definitive disco soundtrack and like in researching that and watching it, it's like it turned out that it was it was like probably 10 years after disco broke and yeah. it was kind of like it was the, all a lie <laughs> the very tail end it's like oh yeah disco are people still doing that and this is like literally they filmed this before anybody gave a shit about the Seattle music scene, mm-hmm. and the studio didn't want to release it until Nirvana, like, 
like a year later nirvana all of a sudden broke and they're like if you like nirvana yeah guess what <laughs> yeah cameron crowe's on the pulse <laughs> yeah man cameron crowe's pretty great yeah well. it's not maybe not my favorite cameron crowe film but but if anyone knows how to make a movie about music i mean it's cameron crowe because he's done yeah. the research you know mm-hmm. he's there with his little tape recorder mm-hmm. and his adorable little notepad <laughs> and he shows up and it's like tell me about grunge <laughs> I I, I love to belittle anybody. MTV also, you know, obviously a huge part of getting this out to the masses. And uh, this was the same year that the real world premiered on MTV. Oh, nice. In Seattle. Was it in Seattle? Seattle was season seven. Oh, I thought Seattle was the first one. Was the first one New York? The first one was New York City. That makes sense. I remember Seattle being the first one in my mind just because that's like the furthest back that I can think. But yeah, (laughs) Seattle, I believe, was 1998. That makes sense. Yeah, and it debuted in 92 in New York City. I just didn't watch any of those early seasons because I was a child. Yeah, too young. (laughs) The funny thing about the early seasons of The Real World is that it's a lot of like some like roommates bickering and it's like, well... I got to go to work. See you in a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> and people are just living normal lives. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of answering machines in season one of Real World. Oh <laughs> my God. Answering machines. I can't. I miss it. Let's bring it back. I am. I feel like I'm just old enough to remember a time when you would have to make arrangements with people mm-hmm. and meet people somewhere. You got to yeah. stick to your plans. Yeah. yeah. Before cell phones. Like it was social. It's in a city. Like it was fucking crazy. You had to go to a place all at once. Mm -hmm. And then you were just stuck with those people. Oh, like moving to New York. I'm looking up everything on my phone, calling people constantly on the street. Like, where are you? What? And like, I can't imagine the nightmare world of like (laughs) being in a pre cell phone, New York city, not knowing where you are, having to talk to people for directions. Oh my God. Trying to I mean? get like, somebody you just started dating to come meet you somewhere. Ugh. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> Horrifying. Listeners, write in if you experience any of this. God, I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm understanding grunge for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Which could have apparently been called anything. That's just kind of the, uh, the name that stuck. I think there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's different accounts of who coined that term first, but I, I think we can reliably say that one of the founders of Sub Pop sent out a press release and used that word for the first time. Interesting. And uh, but you know it could have been called dirt or sludge or grime. You know, <laughs> grunge and, and grunge was just an existing word that they used that ended up uh, you know being the a, thing. It is a terrible, uh, terrible name for the genre. Yeah. Like what is what are what are good and bad genre names for music in your mind? Um, I, I was getting uh, upset with all the waves. So there's like synth wave, vapor wave. You gotta love trip hop. Yeah, trip hop. <laughs> trip hop's love great. Trip hop. I really like disco because it's straightforward and yeah. also a little bit Latin. Yeah, disco. Disco. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, disco's great. And everything else seems seems to just be like a splinter uh, style, like subsect. Uh, you know, I've kind of been more of a bardcore. I'm a bardcore <laughs> guy. I'm a bard uh, tavern wave. Tavern dude. wave. Yeah. Listen to our Night's Tale episode. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, still getting some good press on that. <laughs> you guys want to hear some of track number eight? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. This is Pearl Jam once again with State of Love and Trust.
on. This is a pretty good Pearl Jam song. Yeah. Not bad, man. Some more uh, early Pearl Jam, some pre-10 Pearl Jam. This is one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. Oh, really? For sure, yeah. It's it's a fucking jam. We should say, so Pearl Jam are the band in the, uh, what is the fake name? The Citizen Dick is the fictional band, which is made up of uh, Eddie Vedder and uh, Matt Dillon and the other guy for... um, Stone Gossard. Stone Gossard. And Jeff Mint. Yeah, so I, all in there. <laughs> yes. I believe the story was, so I think they, they had to record one song, because you only hear one uh, one Citizen Dick song. Yeah. And we'll talk about that song later. But uh, mm-hmm. I think that they were just, at some point in the movie, either you see it or maybe it was just given to uh, the people involved, which was, there was like a, a fake track listing for like their, their EP or something. Yeah. That's right. And the people involved, Eddie Vedder, and I think uh, Alice in Chains, some of them were involved in, like, they just decided to write songs for all the, the fake names. And one of them was The Rooster, yeah. which became Alice in Chains' The Rooster. Yeah. <laughs> which is, I can't believe I never knew that, but that's yeah, it's fucking, a great fact. It's hilarious. I feel like it undermines kind of the seriousness of grunge in general, <laughs> where somebody's just like, okay, we've got our, uh, our bad grunge band and like what would be the stupid names of their songs yeah and one was ah rooster and uh, <laughs> I don't know, jeremy or something who cares what was, what was that dork's name yeah, yeah. jeremy uh <laughs> and i just imagine like uh yeah and then they were like oh you know we should write a song called the rooster and then like a couple years later it's like it's one of our biggest songs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> song's pretty good yeah, this is that was where Chris Cornell, I guess, was kind of buddy buddy with Cameron Crowe, and you know, took it upon himself to uh, write some of those songs. Yeah, I guess it, it should. We should point out that Chris Cornell did pass away not too long ago. Oh, yeah. Rest like in it, peace. Rest in peace. Such a sad, sad loss in that. Yeah, um, Chris Cornell is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I, I always dug that guy. I know I tried to speak on about him earlier. <laughs> He has a great uh, cameo, too, when he's like, uh, it's the scene where Matt Dillon's character is uh, <laughs> installed like a very loud sound system yeah. in the car and breaks the windows. And Chris Cornell is kind of uh, he's just, know, there, he's just like, kind of watching it. He's kind of nice. just like, he's like a little bit stoned or something. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, what? Whoa, whoa. Yeah, he, lo- he looks great in this movie. Amazing hair. Hair, hair goals. This song uh, is playing uh, during uh, the Louise uh, betrayal scene. Oh, okay. um, I, I think so. Uh, there's there's some line that uh, Ruth, uh, Linda's friend who works with her coworker, mm-hmm. is saying like, "When you get married, are we still going to go out dancing?" And she's like, "Of course we'll go out dancing." And then it cuts to this song playing. They're in the club, and she's like, "We're still dead." What? What? <laughs> and then she sees, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Louise, Louise, which who who did a pretty smooth move um, with the uh, I painted a picture of you, and uh, that you was know, not a, my name, which uh, is a thing in every Cam and Crow movie. Yeah, yeah. He's, got, he's always some got guy the drawing the portrait of the girl and giving it to her. It as wasn't. A gift. A, it wasn't. A, I liked that it was a very stylized. That it wasn't like the <laughs> so Spanish. So Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like a Picasso. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. A, a right. Gaudi sort of like yeah. dimensions. I don't know. All right. When you were talking about this club scene, it was something that that sent off alarms in my head because the idea of being, you know, a young adult in the early '90s and going to a club to see, you know, Nirvana or Pearl Jam or Alice in Chains would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, that would be fucking sick to be in a little club and like. But the idea of going to a like a bar and just like dancing to fucking Pearl Jam, 
<laughs> somebody just like blasting Pearl Jam. Yeah. It seems so bizarre to this me. Like moshing. That was like pure uh, peak moshing. Correct. I, I went to uh, Rio in uh, 2012. And we went to a, uh, I was with some friends and we went to a nightclub called uh, Casa de Matriche, which is like the Matrix house. Mm-hmm. And one room was fully dedicated to metal music. Sweet. And it was just like Metallica, <laughs> Pearl Jam, and people just like dancing like to modern electronic music, except it was metal and grunge. And uh, I was like, Okay, I kind of get it now. It kind of <laughs> makes sense, but it was very, very awkward. I feel like this movie is pretending that it exists in a world outside of hip hop or trip hop or right. any electronic music that was or happening. Or any in the other 90s. music. There <laughs> yeah. was dance music in the early 90s. It existed. Yeah. They were House not, music. <laughs> it existed. This, this to... grunge scene probably annoyed a lot of people, <laughs> especially the locals of Seattle. I'm sure they were just like, oh, man. It's kind of probably how the people that live in uh, Forks, Washington, you know, <laughs> feel now about having Twilight coffee shops in their hometown. Yeah. I mean, it's all the proto like. You keep talking about me. I'm right here. Commercialism, bro. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the proto like Silicon Valley type people encroaching on like the oh who are these posers at this club? Like they keep coming here like pick up chicks and dance. We're trying to fight and listen to music. <laughs> hey guys, it looks like we are coming up on a break. Oh, we're coming up on a break. At the end of the episode, we are going to add a song to the Tracklisting Spotify playlist. This week, in honor of singles, we are going to add a song of one of our favorite solo projects. That's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I believe Nick has a game for us after we come back from the break. I've got a game prepared. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited for both of these things. I am too. And the rest of the single soundtrack. Yeah. Stay tuned. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Track Listing Podcast and sticking with us through these crazy times that we live in in 2020. If you haven't already checked out our Instagram, please do. That's at Track Listing Podcast. And check out our Twitter. That's at Track Listing Pod. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to tell your friends about it, we'd really appreciate it. Spread the word. Get everybody listening to the Track Listing Podcast. Yeah, and make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow our Track Listing Spotify playlist on Spotify. You have to say Spotify twice. I didn't Do mean it to again. say it's... Start, go from the beginning. Chris, the read, beginning? Chris, read beginning. what's on the page. I was kind of thinking I'd just... No, if you, could, if you could just read from the page. I'm, I'm kind of doing an improv thing here. It's kind of what I do. from the top. So, okay. okay. Uh, Chris is the comedian. Okay, uh, coming in on one. Um, and make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and uh, follow our track listing Spotify playlist. And um... I, I'm nervous. You okay. guys are really... From the top? We've been here we'll for hours, it, guys. Just do it from the top and do it right this time. Rate and review us on Spotify. <sighs> Chris, you got this. Chris, I don't. If you're going to do it, do it right. <laughs> you guys are putting a lot of pressure on me. I'm cracking under pressure. Just All right. One more time. track listing Can podcast. Can I just thank the listeners and let's get out of here? Start from the top. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Two, three hundred. Empire. Oh, baby gonna cry. <laughs> I'm not crying. It's, it's sweat. It's sweat from my eyes. <laughs> we better get back to the soundtrack. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. You know what that sound means. I've got a game prepared for us. Game time. Let's have it. What do you got for us? 
I have got our version of the Only Connect game. This is another edition of Supergroup. Hey! Hey! Supergroup! Excited and nervous. Yeah, my favorite. We're playing together on this one, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you're a first-time listener, this is a game of sequences, and there will be three audio clues, and you are trying to guess what you would expect to hear as the fourth audio clip, Mm -hmm. which will be the answer. Right. We are playing as the track listers uh, for our love of soundtracks. That's the way they got there. So sometimes in. the connection has to do with the band. Sometimes it has to do with the song title. Sometimes it's a theme of a song. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, round one, clue number one. All right. <laughs> Can't stop the music is what I heard the tail end of that, but it it, it sounded uh, it sounded pretty pearly. It sounded pretty grunge. Pretty grungy. You mm. thought it might be a pearl jam? I thought it might I, have been the voice didn't sound it sounded more like Soundgarden-y to me. Even though he wasn't doing like the Alright. Yeah. Alright, let's let's see if we can work backwards. Yeah, that let's doesn't, clue that two. does not bode well. No. Here is clue number two. Rage Against Machine. Rage Against Machine. What is the name of the song? It's the... Rally around your family! Pocket full of shells! <laughs> it's a very good Zach De La Roca impression. Good job. One uh, Half a point for that impression. Uh, he was recently on the new Run the Jewels record, and it's actually really good. It's a great record. Oh, man. Great Fire. album. Mm-hmm. How are you guys feeling so far? Uh, not great. Not great. Um, can't... Bulls on Parade. Is the, isn't it Bulls on Parade? I think so. Okay. You guys want to hear clue number three? Yeah. Let's hear clue number three. That sounds like that's Cornell. Yeah, so that's Soundgarden, or see, it's Chris Cornell, or I assume it's Soundgarden. Soundgarden. So I don't know the song. If we've got. <sighs> I talked a big game about knowing a lot about Chris Cornell earlier. <laughs> you are right that that is Chris Cornell, but that is not a song by Soundgarden. Okay, uh, is it Audio Slave? It's an Audio Slave. That okay. is Audio Slave. Okay, so Rage Against the Machine, Audio oh, Slave. Oh wait, 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 wait. Because uh, Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave share band members, which is Tom Morello, right? right? It, we're, I think we're it's a it's a ship of Theseus sort it's, of thing it's going the bands, on. The bands of Tom Morello as he 
as he's continued. As he travels through time. It's so a linear. What's the current uh, iteration of Tom Morello's band? I'm trying to think of what the original band would before. Uh, no, this, this would be the most recent Tom yeah, Morello yeah. band. Because if you've got Audio Slave was the band, uh, the musicians were um, from Rage yeah. Machine. And then before that, we had. Yes, something. You guys are correct in the sequence. Okay. Okay. okay so it's the most, whatever the most reason. Is it a Run the Jewels? So are we going to hear a Run the Jewels song? Let's hear the answer and see if you guys. <laughs> can, oh, is uh, it? If we do, it's going to be just with a dollar sign. Okay. Okay. Here is the answer to round one. There's a riot on sunset. And fires burn in the park The sun is set, my friend And California's dark So I'm guessing that that is a Tom Morello solo act? These are the bands of Tom Morello moving in chronological order. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. First we heard uh, Can't Stop the Bleeding by Look Up. Okay. Which was Tom Morello's band before Rage Against the Machine. Who was the lead singer of that? Impossible to know. No one knows. Okay. <laughs> no one knows. Grunge, no one knows. I heard the grunge voice. It was so same, confusing. Same, okay. Same, same. Uh, second, we heard Bulls on Parade mm-hmm. by Rage Against the Machine. I'm white in <laughs> yeah. Third, we heard <laughs> I Am the Highway by Audio Slave. That's right. Yeah. And uh, the answer we heard, I would have accepted any song by The Night Watchmen. The Night Watchmen. And Night we heard Watchmen. that was the song California's Dark. Which is not Tom Morello's most recent band. There was Prophets of Rage yes, after that, that. And then that there's a, and now he is going by just Tom Morello. Yeah. yeah. So that is uh, moving in chronological order. Good job on <laughs> noting the sequence. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> I, well. do, I do love the people that are like, hey, Tom Morello, why don't you stick to music and not politics? Oh, yeah. That was the, <laughs> like all the tweets. Yeah. And Tom he's Morello, like, he's got on Twitter and he's become very political, obviously. Yeah. And uh, there seems to be a lot of Rage Against the Machines fans who didn't realize that <laughs> the machine he was that he us. was political or or not white. <laughs> yeah. That was another one that's really funny. Pretty good. On that like, note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom Rill is awesome. You guys ready for round two? Uh, we're ready. Here's clue one. familiar yeah i can't put my finger on it <laughs> it's like a little, it seems like if bruce springsteen was in a band before he was bruce springsteen he would have uh i was gonna say it sounds a little tom petty but it's not his voice i don't think or maybe like uh is this gonna be like a john cougar john cougar mellencamp john mellencamp mellencamp blues explosion i think that's a really good <laughs> i think yeah okay let's stick with All that right, nikki let's hear, let's hear the, next, the next track this is clue number two
sounds like fucking Dude, Mellencamp to me. Are you right in that it's is the sequence all right what, what, what's, what's okay, the order's so name it's john, john, Coug- john cougar mellencamp is a person right right but no he, he originally went by john cougar went by john cougar and then he went by john mellencamp and then he went by john cougar mellencamp i thought that it was he, i thought that they kept at i thought it was john cougar mellencamp then john mellencamp but i don't know what, what would be after that Ooh. all right well let's hear the third track all right here's clue three Your life, Jackie Brown. Poorly educated, forced to live on the poor side of town. So, what would you guys expect to hear <laughs> for the fourth audio clip? That's the thing. Song is, I don't, by I don't, John Cougar Cougar Melons Camp. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't know these songs. I know. I don't. I don't know these songs. So I'm hoping that it's that I'm not missing something to do with what the songs are about. These all I, seem like John M- Melon Camp songs. I, 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 I know that he was a man who kept changing his like uh, the name he was going by. I think that maybe he went by. Maybe he was in a band first, and then he was in John Cougar, and then he was John Cougar Melon Camp. So what? It, I, th- I think your official right. answer. What do you guys think the sequence is? I think the sequence is it's the various iterations of John Cougar Mellencamp's name. Okay. That, is, that is correct. Okay, and I think I think he went by John Mellencamp, then he switched to John Cougar, then he was John Mellencamp again, and then John Cougar Mellencamp. That is incorrect. Fuck. Okay, this is what I think. I think I remember hearing that the label. One, they didn't think Mellencamp was rock and roll enough. They made him go by John Cougar for his first release. So it was John Cougar, John Mellon, John Cougar Mellencamp, and then John Mellencamp. Cougar Mellon. And I don't know what Johnny a fourth Cougar one Mellon. would have been, but I'm guessing it is a cover of uh, Van Morrison's Wild Night. Ooh, let's hear the answer. Or hurt too. so good. <laughs> let's get to the point now. Just because we got the same mom and dad That don't mean I'm a keeper, no That don't mean I owe anything to you You don't care for me And man, I don't think that much of you Cause blood, blood, blood I don't believe anything you do Alright, so that track is called Brothers and that is a song by John Mellencamp. I would have accepted any song released under the name John, John Mellencamp. Mellencamp. Okay. So what is and the And you sequence? are correct in the sequence. This is the, these are releases in chronological order under the various stage names right. of John Mellencamp so over I felt, time. I felt strong about but, three, but how but, but is this four? Give me, so, yeah, give me so the four. Give, give me the four. So before, the four. before round one... John J. Mellencamp is his birth name. Okay. John J. Mellencamp. So we'll just put that aside. But uh, for his first... J. J. for Cougar. <laughs> yes, J. for Cougar Mellon. <laughs> so... <laughs> J. Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> his... Uh, his J. Cougar. John J. Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> uh, he currently goes by John Mellencamp. Yes. And okay. everything on Spotify from, you know, Jack and Diane, all is now listed as John Mellencamp. Okay. So his first release, his first album, the name that he went by was Johnny Cougar. Ah, Johnny Cougar. So you're right. The, the first right. song that we heard was American Dream, released by Johnny Cougar. Johnny Cougar. The second track we heard it's was just John Cougar. 
is just John Cougar, and that was a little late night dancing. Okay. Mm. After John Cougar, you know, maybe it's not the real me. John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, I remember uh, with, with Jackie Brown. That's when and, I got on the train, and yeah. then he dropped <laughs> the middle name, which is not a real name. Yeah, yeah. Ever. <laughs> In that, uh, yeah. John Mellencamp with the song Brothers. That is a fantastic sequence. Okay, so we have Johnny Brother. Cougar, John Cougar, it's John Cougar Mellencamp, John Mellencamp, John Camp Cougar Mellon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Johnny that I know. I, I wish that, uh, that Sting had been slowly backing away from the name Sting. That would have been hilarious. Oh, uh, yeah. Gordon. Gordon. Gordon Sting. Gordon Sumner Sting. Gordon, Gordon Sting, Sting Sumner. Sumner. Sting Sting Gordon Gordon. Gordy Sting. <laughs> Very good, guys. Right, You're doing right. great. I didn't even ask you how many rounds there are. I'm guessing there's got one more one round. One more round. All right. You guys ready for clue one of round three? Yeah, I feel like we're doing all right. Yeah. You guys are doing great. We're, we're, yeah. We're, we're, on, we're on the track. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's clue one. Def Leppard, uh, pour some sugar on me. And I think the sequence is number of arms drummers have. So this is a one armed drummer. Okay. And I think this is going to be. I think so. Goro from Mortal Kombat <laughs> is the best drummer. <laughs> All right. I think that Paste Secret Ma- Rock Band character. I think that like uh, Paste Magazine put out a top four songs of like strippers play when they. Oh, that's this, it. It's like yeah. a champagne room uh, yeah. top four. Hair metal and strip clubs have the best <laughs> partnership. Um, they're just constantly making money. Stuff. Right, Let's see how you guys feel about uh, Clue Number Two. Def Leppard and Sugar. Got it. Then I stopped dreaming. Now I'm supposed to fill it up with something, something, something. In your eyes, I see the eyes of somebody I knew before. That is Mike Snow. Mike Snow with, with two eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meek, Meek Snow. Mike Snow with animal. Animal. So Def is missing an A. Def Leopard, Mike. Because Def is D E F. It's missing an A, and yeah. Mike has one extra letter. It's Def Leopard is it's spelled D E F L E P P. Yeah, Leopard is also A-R-D. misspelled. Oh, but two P's, so two eyes. Maybe maybe an. An ancillary is that there or an extra letter? Extra letter? I don't know, but I don't know what the sequence is. Okay, let's hear the third also, clue. Animal leopard. Okay, here's clue three. Smoke the weed every day. Don't smoke the seeds. No way. Smoke the weed. Hey, smoke the weed. Younger generation, young boys and girls. Be careful of the seeds you show. If you want to see a strong tree grow, you 
that's Snoop Lion. Is that Snoop Lion? I think that's Snoop Lion. Which he kind of never publicly said he was going back to Snoop Dogg, <laughs> but he just is like, oh, I was kidding. <laughs> but, All right, so Snoop, there's a double O, but yeah. then there's also, we got Lion, Animal. So we got Leopard. Leopard. But Mike Snow. Oh, Snow Leopard. Snow Leopard. Are these... Oh, these are um, Mac operating systems. You got Leopard, Snow Leopard, Lion, Lion, um, Catalina, <laughs> Yosemite. You guys are correct in the sequence. Okay, yeah, very okay, good. So yeah. How does it? Uh, what would you expect to hear for the is, is fourth it, audio clip? I think it's Yosemite is the next one. So, so Lion, and then Yosemite, and then it's Catalina, maybe? No, Sierra. There was... I know there was Yosemite. So it's by band. We need a band. We need a band that's Yosemite Sam. Yosemite. <laughs> you guys are on the right track. <laughs> Is there, Was there something before Yosemite? Because I think it went Yosemite, Sierra, and then Catalina. Is it another cat one? <laughs> What's bigger than Lion? Nothing's bigger than Lion. Listeners, if anyone's uh, thinking about upgrading to uh, Big Sur, don't do it. It'll destroy your computer. <laughs> yeah, Big, Big Sur is the... Yeah, that's the... He who not, must it. not be named. Uh, do you guys want to hear the answer and see if you can piece it together? I think it's going to be Yosemite Sam uh, rapping. Yeah, it's Yosemite Sam. <laughs> Interesting from choice. The, from the Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> All right, here's the answer to uh, round three. Hope that our few remaining friends give up on trying to save us. I hope we come up with a fail-safe plot to piss off the dumb few that forgave us. I hope the fences we mended fall down beneath their own weight. And I hope we hang on past the last exit. I hope it's already too late. And I hope the junkyard a few blocks from here someday burns down. And I hope the rising black the uh, the very prolific genre now from mountain, mountain goats. goats yeah so, so what do you guys got is it mountain is mountain the next os very close yosemite mountain caleb <laughs> is it mountain goat <laughs> no <laughs> that would be amazing it's very close it's uh it's related to clue number three. Oh shit hold on lion mountain lion that is correct okay so yes, that is uh, the Mac OS X operating system starting in 2007. I don't remember Mountain Lion. Are we working our way backwards? We are moving chronologically from 2007. We had uh, we had Leopard mm-hmm. in 2007. I remember then that. Snow Leopard. Snow Leopard 2009. Then we had mm-hmm. Lion, Lion 2011, uh-huh. and then Mountain Lion uh-huh. in 2012. I don't remember Mountain Lion. Mountain Lion. Mountain Lion. It makes sense. And uh, uh, yeah, clue one was Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar on Me. Clue two was Mike Snow with Animal. Clue three, Snoop Lion with Smoke the Weed featuring <laughs> Collie Buds. <laughs> and uh, last we heard the Mountain Goats with, uh, you know, the song that I chose, No Children. Yeah, hey. that was, uh, yeah, that was great. That was a great hey, sequence. That was, that was a great sequence. game, great man. Game. Holy right. shit. Good job, guys. Oh, I was, thank uh, you, Nick. No yeah. money tonight, but... <laughs> 
I'm starting to get panicked that it was all going to be grunge accent. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to work in a little bit of grunge. Uh, yeah, Tom Morello over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I picked that uh, No Children song uh, for, what was it like? What was the That's suggestion right. for? Um, that it, was a recommended a, Chris track. Yeah, it's on um, you know, Bleak, <laughs> whatever one of our, uh, like, uh, one of the bleakest. Uh, I think it was um, Cruel, Cruel Songs. On cruel, oh, okay. Cruel, cruel Intentions. intentions. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to like, Carolyn awesome. Page. Way yeah, back. what's up? All right, guys, thanks for playing. Uh, yeah, should we get you, back man. into the uh, single soundtrack? Fantastic game. Fantastic Thank game. you, guys. Coming back in on track number nine, this is Mud Honey with Overblown. Yeah, man. Uh, Mud Honey, Proto Grunge, like Seattle Superstars, Indie Superstars. Uh, I don't think they <laughs> really broke out, but uh, Sludge would maybe be an appropriate genre name for. Uh, <laughs> I like Mud Honey. Oh, the funny thing about Mud Honey, so their biggest uh, hit is "Don't Touch Me, I'm Sick," mm-hmm. which is a song that's ripped off for Citizen Dick's uh, fake song, um, which is a little bit "Touch Me, I'm Dick." Don't touch me, I'm Dick. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like totally. Uh, I think I have it. Could you? Could we listen to the the fake song by uh, Citizen Dick? Yeah, this is uh, Citizen Dick with "Touch Me, I'm Dick." Yeah, for the uh, for the purists out there, this is uh, early Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah, that's Eddie Vedder singing. Uh, but the funny thing, okay, when we did, um, I think when we did High Fidelity, there's a song on there that's supposed to be the band of the kids. It's like the demo that the yes. kids like. Uh, oh yeah, they bring in their album. The Shoplifters. Like, John Cusack's character is like just really it's good. Really good. <laughs> it's good. But it's yeah. also supposed to be these like dickhead kids like recorded something. And so it's like the band. It was this band called Royal Trucks. And like, how would you feel if you were the band that was selected to be like the amateurish? And it's kind of like, so Mud Honey is like, oh, so we're going to take your best song and we're going to make fun of it. And that's going to be the song of the, of the shitty band that people are writing terrible reviews of. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) how much is the check for? Sure. Why not? Okay. Uh, (laughs) So I'm glad that Mud Honey at least made it on the soundtrack. Yeah, Janet plays this in the kitchen, and I guess you're led to believe that this is um, Matt Dillon's band. And she's, like, rocking out, and she kind of misses Cliff, Matt Dillon's character. And then she calls up uh, who she thinks is Cliff on the phone and leaves a very dirty, dirty sort of, uh, like, message. And it's then not it's, even a message, because he picks up. Yeah, he picks up, and she's just, like, goes into the spiel. 
And then it's some dude at the other end of the side. He's like, yeah, yeah I, I wish that was me. Come on over, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's he's from another band. Like he's from Seal. Tat. It's yeah. Thomas A. Doyle. And his song, Jinx, his band song, is the one that uh, when Matt Dillon says he fixes uh, the stereo, that's the song oh, that's playing. that's the song playing in so the... This is pretty cool. Pretty I think cool. this might be a good uh, point in the episode to talk about some cameos. Yeah. This is, what? <laughs> cameos. This is a cameo heavy. We already talked about Cameron Crowe playing the music journalist who's yeah. interviewing uh, Matt in early on. Did you guys see the, the video director at the dating, the, the video dating service? It's Tim Burton. It's Tim Burton is <laughs> the oh, one. that was Tim. Tim Burton. Is Tim the, Burton. He's like, uh, he's the next Martin Scorsese. <laughs> oh, yeah. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was Tim Burton. Yeah, that was yeah, Tim, Tim Burton. Oh, my goodness. He looks crazy. I, he's, like, totally I, shaved and has, like, short hair. Very scary. Uh, later on, there's a mover that's helping. I think when, at the end of the movie, they're talking about Campbell Scott's character moving out of the apartment complex finally. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, Gus Van Zant's, like, carrying a sofa. Yeah, I, I missed Gus Van Zant. I, I didn't <laughs> see that. He's, he's pretty quick. <laughs> Any there, other uh, notable cameos? Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti that's in his right. film debut. Giamatti! What? Oh my God. But he looks the same. <laughs> yeah. He looks the same, he but this the is the same. only movie where anybody like uh, visibly wants to fuck him. <laughs> Maybe <true>. sideways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's, he's sucking face with that girl at the, at the restaurant. He's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Paul Giamatti's awesome. The, one of the first what, movies ever. One yeah, of the did. founders of Sub Pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Chris was telling me how to cameo. Uh, that is Bruce Pavitt. Bruce ah, Pavitt. Bruce Pavitt. One of the founders mm-hmm. of Sub Pop. He had was a cameo. Looking for love in the uh, in the VHS. Whatever. Yeah, like he's, the he's lowered expectations. Whatever you want to call the, the VHS thing. Expectations. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess like at some point, Mud Honey wrote a song about you know this like the idea that they were becoming a caricature of themselves in a certain way and they wanted to like get out of that situation yeah and uh one of the lyrics to their songs is everybody loves us everybody loves our town that's why i'm thinking of leaving it don't believe in it now yeah yeah so yeah they were just like uh this seems like it's a getting a little bit bastardized i think maybe we should get out of seattle <laughs> and i i guess at some point new york times while they were trying to get a handle on you know, what was going on with the grunge scene. They called uh, Caroline Records, which was another uh, record label in Seattle. They talked to uh, the receptionist, Megan Jasper, and they were trying to get an idea from her of what some maybe buzzwords were in the in the grunge <laughs> scene. So she just made up a bunch of <laughs> words oh, on, on the phone with them, and then they, they printed it yeah. in the Times in 1992. <laughs> So these are some of the words that she just made up on the phone. Uh, wax lax, <laughs> our slang for old rib jeans. Um, kickers yeah. are heavy boots. Uh, uh, the term for bummer is a harsh realm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Harsh realm. Oh, you know, I think I've heard that before. I say that all the time. Uh, <laughs> a desirable man is also known as a dish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're saying a happy goodbye to someone, rock on. Rock on. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then she later admitted in some documentary, she was like, yeah, I kind of made up all this stuff when the mag- when the newspaper called. I panicked. They yeah. had me on the phone. It's like one of those like instant messenger, like, beware what your teen is actually saying. Like, right. G2G doesn't mean got to go. It means like green to gaff. Yeah, also, staying home on a Friday or Saturday night was known as uh, bound and haggard. <laughs> bound and 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> insane, man. I like that. That's, I'll start using that one. Oh, man, I've been using it a lot. You guys want to hear some of track number 10? Let's do it. Let's do it. This is Paul Westerberg once again with Waiting for Somebody. Down so long, doesn't really matter. This downtown home, been kicked and I've been spurred. You're coming along, it doesn't really matter. I go it alone, doesn't even hurt. All my life, waiting for somebody. Apparently, Paul Westerberg can only write one melody after uh, leaving the replacements. Dude, you guys are shitting on Paul Westerberg, but uh, I actually like this song. It's a catchy melody; a it'll get stuck in your head. I fucking like this song. It's if you don't watch the movie, you're gonna love this song. If you watch the movie, it's gonna fucking drive you crazy hearing it over and over. I tell you what, my beef is with the song. I think he had like about half the amount of lyrics that he needed to fill out the full song. Like he clearly <laughs> wrote the song, and then I was like. All right, now I gotta write some lyrics <laughs> to this damn thing, uh, and he stretches it out pretty well. Because <laughs> it, it's it's essentially score, and it works well in the That's movie. True. That's true. I mean, I don't know if it works well in the movie, but it works in the movie. I believe that after Paul Westerberg left the replacements, uh, the two tracks that we hear from him on the soundtrack are yeah. his first two solo first efforts. Okay. Efforts, <laughs> efforts. No, I mean, I like tracks. These are successful songs. Yeah. I, I, think, I like. Paul I like this. I like this. This is essentially the same song as the Dyslexic Heart song. <laughs> yeah, I like this one quite a bit more. We should also say that uh, Paul Westerberg was featured all over the uh, soundtrack to the show Friends, mm-hmm. which was t- directly influenced by uh, you know singles. Yeah, well, there yeah, was a story. Kinda, this kind of carried him through the whole. Should we talk about the story? 90s. There was a story that apparently uh, Cameron Crowe was approached. They really wanted to adapt this movie into a sitcom about like a bunch of people uh, living in a city trying to Which find love. Never took off, but maybe turned into Friends. Uh, he turned it down, and then apparently the project like went through a few reiterations, and yeah. uh, and offend- <laughs> I think it w- did turn into Friends. Yeah, mm-hmm. and at some point Cameron Crowe was like, "Should I be getting some money for this?" And people were like, "No." <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was one of those like Hollywood stories of like it. Yeah, yeah. A, a million different iterations, and then it became what is friends, and then so then he just kind of ended up with uh, an idea for um, roadies. It's <laughs> 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 like, well, that idea got taken. I'm but never how, gonna go TV. How about the people that set up the grunge shows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that never. T- well, it had one season, I think, and then it got canceled. Got Did turned you- into Aloha. <laughs> Did you guys ever see Single Guy? Yeah, man, I used to watch Single Guy. Yeah, no. Interesting enough, Jonathan Silverman. Jonathan Silverman, single guy, and it's just about a single guy. <laughs> and Ross from Friends, uh-huh. David Schwimmer, as the character Ross, did like a guest appearance on Single Guy. It's all part of uh, Must See TV. Yeah, to like you know, if sweeps week because yeah, Friends was just launching and it was an effort to bolster like, oh hey, catch this same character if you loved this random guy who's on Single <laughs> oh Guy, you're gonna love this. It's pretty wild. Yeah, but you hear you hear this song waiting for somebody all over the movie the mm-hmm. score. You hear it when um, Steve is 
just remembering the good times with Linda. It's <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> let me show up to her work and freak everybody out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he, he gets away with, uh, I'm going to call it relationship murder, like mm. maybe 10 times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then at the end of the film, all right, we're going to talk about, so he has a, uh, they, they split up. Mm-hmm. She has a miscarriage. They split up. Yeah. And then he has a, uh, he has a professional collapse. Mm -hmm. So he is now unemployed. He seems to kind of lose his mind very quickly. Yes. Something that I can relate to quite a bit. (laughs) He's stuck inside. He's He's stuck inside. Building trains. He fucking stops talking to people and he loses connection to reality. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then, uh, she just like shows up when he's at his worst. And this is, there's a kind of like a, I don't know if it's a, a kind of screenwriter misogyny. But it's like, usually it's like in films like this, people have to put their life back together to be able to like achieve their like, I need to get the girl back. I need to like do something. Instead, he just like gets to his lowest point and then she shows up and she's like, I still love you. And he's like, yeah, okay. And his apartment is trashed. Oh, it is. He's unemployed. Lots of of pizza. Yeah. Lots of pizza boxes. He's got like maybe three days of stubble. Not much stubble. We were joking, but it's a it's the perfect sketch that like the the ex girlfriend that he's lamenting over shows up and he's like, oh my god, you're back, and he's like, how have you? Been? Oh, I've been great. And then she like <laughs> looks beyond him, and his apartment is just <laughs> insane looking. And she's like, he's like, oh yeah, oh, I've been so productive. Uh, I mean, I can't remember. I haven't thought about you he in a is, while. <laughs> he is like so sweaty and greasy at this point. Yeah, yeah. and she just it's a, she looks amazing. By the way, her hair. She, she, yeah, yeah. she's got her she's hair doing great. Yeah. It's doing great, but yeah. And the oh, oh the the awkward. I guess uh, we haven't really talked about that uh, Janet's character, or excuse me, Bridget Fonda's character, Janet, and uh, Campbell Scott, Steve, uh, had like a relationship for a while. And yeah, everyone was kind of hooking up in this friend yeah, circle. Yeah, it's which, like, which makes sense. They hint at it at the beginning, happens. and then it's kind of like oh, we're, where they were talking about the actual characters in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, but was Matt Dillon dating the character who was doing the video dating on the side? She's off in her own world, Debbie. We haven't you, talked. You, you, ta- you get the you get the sense that that happened. I think at the very beginning, Campbell Scott's Debbie. talking about uh, like Matt Dillon's like dating two of his friends, and then it's like, wait, where's and then well, he's she, giving you all these names, and you're like, I don't know any of these people. I don't <laughs> yeah, know yeah, yeah. who you're talking about yet. And then you forget about it by the time you meet the characters. But right. Debbie has a roommate. And I, there's something Ruth. Really f- oh no, no, excuse me, no. De- yeah, Debbie does have a roommate, yeah. Debbie has a roommate, and it's legitimately really funny in that they, they obviously hate each other, <laughs> yeah. and there's a scene where she goes, and they have nothing in common. All right. They're, like, bickering about the smallest things, and it's kind of like, oh, there's one person who's, like, the odd, odd man out in this entire apartment complex. It's uh, it's this roommate. <laughs> so, uh, the girl, she goes, wait, was her name Betty? I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> so she, right, she goes on a uh, the video date, the video date, and the video uh, date. Debbie, yeah. yeah so sorry. Debbie's video date goes home instead and then uh, runs into the roommate and they're hitting it off. And when Debbie comes home, they like go in an argument and her roommate is like, I'm not going to Cabo San Lucas with you. <laughs> it's like the idea that you have this dickhead roommate that you're constantly fighting with, but then you're also making like vacation plans <laughs> is like the most twenties thing oh, in the world. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. You think your roommates are your friends? They're not always your friends. <laughs> you guys want to get into some of track 11? Let's do yeah. it. 
This is the Jimi Hendrix experience with May This Be Love. Waterfall Nothing can harm me at all My worries seem so very small But my waterfall I can see My rainbow of a throwback track here and uh, a yeah. good shout out to Cameron Crowe for including some Seattle uh, music legend oh yeah man you know on mm-hmm. the soundtrack I gotta say there's like maybe a little bit of a queasy uh, rock cameo in it <laughs> it's a scene where Matt Dillon's character is like rolling around on top of Jimi Hendrix's grave yeah a little <laughs> bit like, of a weird like, shout I out I don't but... know if he's like playing a cover of a Hendrix song like laying on top of Jimmy Hendrix. I, I hope that, and, and that wasn't the real but it probably was ah, he's Jimmy. wearing that like ridiculous stocking cap <laughs> Jimmy would have loved it you guys <laughs> he's smiling from the grave yeah man <laughs> he loves that stuff uh, this is playing in um, Steve's apartment so we find out that Steve was a sort of a, a DJ in college and he would yeah. uh, spin those golden discs um and uh, there's a it's a great scene um i guess there's a series of like jump cuts and it cuts to different music there's a lot of great music clearly he's got this old vinyl collection which nobody had in the 90s i was gonna say yeah yeah there yeah this is before vinyl made its uh, glorious comeback well they, they talk about they're like what the hell are you doing with she's this like vinyl? oh vinyl <laughs> she's like vinyl. No, she's like oh i miss albums yeah and it's like Wait, do we not call CDs albums? Cassettes. Uh, this, is, this is Cassette Nation yeah, right now. Oh, maybe it is cassettes. This is... CDs. You talk about a little bit of a leap of... This is like Cameron Crowe, like, like really impressing his own personality onto mm. these characters mm. where... He's Cam, like Campbell Scott's not Same the only scene one. Same scene in Almost Famous, by he's, the way. But he's with not going the, through album covers. And, and <laughs> Vanilla Sky it's, too, right? It's Where in every gonna, Cameron Crowe movie. That uh, and some guy drawing a caricature of the woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, Matt Dillon's character also has a bunch of records, and yeah. this is trust me, '91. Nobody had records. No, these were in an attic somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's complete it's like, oh, look, London Calling. <laughs> yeah, great album. They're listening to Sly and the Family Stone. And, uh, That's right. There's uh, some Coltrane in the movie that didn't make it on the soundtrack. Some, yeah, uh, there was some jazz. Yeah. he's uh, That's during the, the height of his breakdown. Yeah, yeah. That's he's listening to Coltrane. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Like, if we could, if we could make a graph of jazz appreciation and, like, Break relationships, cuts. yeah, would, there would be some I don't know about correlations. I will say that... Uh, Definitely at the end of last spring's lockdown, I was listening to some Coltrane. So there's something, there's a kind of like a white male desperation. It's like it starts grasping at free, like free jazz. I, I've been, more, oh God. <laughs> so I've been playing chess online and I like a couple days ago, I was just like, oh, let me put on some jazz and, uh, you know, for a second there, you're like, oh, this is great. Like it's very relaxing. And then it gets like the. <laughs> and you're just like, ah, oh, I'm going crazy. <laughs> my mind, I'm losing my mind. I think early, early Coltrane holds up. I think when he went totally free and went on his whole, like, you know, later in life journey, yeah. it's a little out there for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Come on over to our place for taco night and we'll, we'll do a real uh, journey through Coltrane. Oh my God. <laughs> you guys want to hear some of track number 12? Let's do it. This is Screaming Trees with Nearly Lost You. 
Another band that this was a uh, a career launch for yeah. being included on the single soundtrack. I remember growing up, I remember Screaming Trees. They're a, a band, not from Seattle. I think they're from Eastern Washington, maybe Ellensburg. But uh, they didn't take off. I think that it's funny going through... I mean, we're not at reviews yet, but I have to talk about like this soundtrack. It's similar to maybe like a Pretty in Pink. These are all unbroken bands for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Screaming Trees, which is a band that I remember, is like the least remarkable yeah, of all these acts. by the wayside for sure. It is fucking crazy how prescient this soundtrack is. Yeah. It's is like if you were setting a film in the 90s now and you had all the money behind it, you would be lucky to be able to license Pearl Dream, Soundgarden, Mud Honey, like all these. Mm-hmm. It's fucking bananas. Yeah. Uh, but this song, it's probably one of uh, Screaming Tree's bigger hits. I think that the soundtrack made it a bigger hit. This is a pretty good song. And, I mean, who would have predicted that this band wouldn't make it? You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it's one of anybody's, where, anybody's guess. <laughs> like, Pearl Jam's not even a band yet when this comes out. And it's like, <laughs> we got Pearl Jam, we got Screaming Trees. Same, same band, mm-hmm. same thing. This is playing when um, Linda is doing a pregnancy test. She's late and they're doing a pregnancy test and it's... It's a pretty funny, I think, honest sort of like discussion about like, well, what do we do if you're, he's like, <laughs> you're not going to be pregnant. I, I promise you. Just kidding. Maybe you are. Um, and then it's, um, the, you know, kind of takes a turn to the serious after that. But um, we haven't mentioned uh, Bill Pullman. Bill yeah. Pullman. Bill yeah. Pullman. That's a weird. We should have brought him up. That's a great cameo that you, you feel like he's going to be a bigger part of the movie than he is. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like they're going to date and he just turns out to be another square, I guess. I don't know. He's this guy. I mean, Janet's gonna be fine. If, if anything in this movie, guys are fawning over Janet all over the place. Bill Pullman plays the um, plastic surgeon. Yes. And yes. Um, after Janet's character has the awkward interaction with um, you know Matt Dillon's character, where he says that her breasts are too small, sometimes she decides to go consult with a plastic surgeon for breast enlargement and. Mm-hmm. Bill Pullman like confesses that he has a crush on her at one point. Yeah, it gets it gets that's... very very uncomfortable, <laughs> and then she like plays with his hair. Yeah, and she's like, "Yeah, now you look a little bit rock and roll." <laughs> and he's like looking out the window, like, <sighs> and he convinces her not to get the uh, breast enlargement <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Uh, she's dating a shitty guy. <laughs> Cameron Crowe's. Um, his impression of what uh, I guess like uh, medical. I would say practices. Yeah. The, the doctor-patient a, relationship. Yeah, he's a bad doctor. That is. Yeah, that is that's, way that's really not off. okay. Also, yeah. uh, what a surgical bay would look like. It's yeah. just kind of like it's like. Oh yeah, I got office. my I got my books up here. I got like a chair in the corner. You want to do a boob job? It's like that's not. No, this is where you do that. <laughs> yeah, it's Bill a, Pullman looks younger than Kira Sedgwick in the movie. And he's <laughs> supposed to be the. Yeah. But yeah. at one point, I think it's all these characters. You're just kind of like, ah, 29 years old. Do I really want to? And you're like, what? I <laughs> know. Oh, yeah. I think he's in his 30s. Or no, no, but it, in the scene, he's like, he's like looking out the window. He pulls like a Pierce Brosnan from Mrs. Doubtfire. He's like, 
Ah, I'm pushing 34. <laughs> it's like, oh man. I was like, I'm pushing 34. Yeah. What's happening? Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, you can't confess your crush to your patience. Yeah. Uh, you also like, you know, Cameron Crowe writing the boob doctor with a heart of gold, you know, like, come it's, on, man. You dude, would, if anything, you'd be like, you're going to want extra large because it costs more. I got to make yeah, yeah. that money. Yeah, then they're negotiating on the size that she's going to get. Yeah. They, they split the difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But hey, it all, it all works out. And I think, uh, you know, Janet learns a little something about her own self-confidence. <laughs> that's say, right. That's throughout right. the film, this is 1991, 1992. I, throughout the film, I noticed a lot of real crazy computer screen work. Yeah. Oh, of where, course. Like, yeah. It's always going to look outdated. At everybody's yeah. office, but it's it's not even outdated. It's like uh, when you go to the Campbell Scott's, like... Uh, his like train dream office he like <laughs> oh, walks yeah. by his like his assistant or whatever and they're just like fucking it looks like 2001 where it's like a bunch of how things like popping up and it's like did, 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 he did, walks did, by his did, co-worker did, and he's like how's it going jim he's like making music with my fingertips <laughs> <laughs> like, and it looks oh my like, goodness <laughs> looks like you know pre-windows 95 uh screensavers yeah. <laughs> they're all just like clicking yeah. like so like, fucking when they go in and talk to bill pullman he's got it's like weird science where it's like the yeah. weird makes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like, all right, Clone. so uh, thank you for coming in. We're very, by the way, we're very uh, professional here. We have the, the latest in software. This is the bigger boob button, and this is a smaller boob button. So we're just going to sit here and press the boob buttons until you're really comfortable with what's going to happen. I did like her response when he's like, you know, maybe you should rethink getting this breast enlargement because you're dating a shithead. She's like, did my check bounce? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, Excuse me, why are you talking to me like, like this? Wait. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Shouldn't there be like a a nurse in here or somebody to do anesthesia no yeah and they were about to just like she was like and now the surgery very strange I think strange. it was still some preliminary stuff okay yeah, uh, well, one more thing I think worth mentioning um, go ahead Steve, Chris uh, during this uh, scene when um, the Screaming Trees is playing Steve is wearing a Mud Honey t-shirt with the Sub Pop on the back which mm-hmm. is the record label that a lot of these bands were signed to. Oh, uh, dude, Sub Pop was huge in my life. Yeah, and a lot of people still probably know that great record label. Nirvana um, recorded uh, Bleach for under $700 yeah. of Sub Pop's money. Oh was, was Steve Albini doing it even back then, or was he only on the later ones? I don't think he was on board for Bleach. I think okay, okay. they had an awkward interaction, but that's for our Nirvana podcast. <laughs> but I, the amount of people and like bands mentioned uh, in this movie, like the cameos and stuff, you want wonder yeah. if like Cameron Crowe is just like all right give me a hundred dollars I'll put your band in the movie <laughs> like whatever and then like <laughs> that was a complaint of a lot of people I think around the scene at the time was that Almost he was just trying to get you know get some cash out of this uh local scene yeah it, it, it wasn't called grunge at the time it was just like the indie rock scene of Seattle in like the late 80s through you know early, early 90s. 90s I I would um I would guess that this was part of the contract that Mud Honey's band manager drew up. He's like, "All right, you use our song. One person in the movie has to be wearing one of our shirts too." <laughs> like, nice, yeah, dude. High five. Yeah, like, yeah, Good dude. Call. That's best manager in the biz. <laughs> yeah, like, he's the best. Yeah, I got like eight hundred dollars. <laughs> right, guys. It looks like we are coming up on the last song on the single soundtrack. Let's do it. This is the Smashing Pumpkins with Drown.
right we've got some early early smashing pumpkins showing up here as the last track Mm -hmm. i do know that uh chris cornell recommended this song and this band to to cameron crow they had had their first album out called gish yeah gish had come out this is in between gish and siamese dream siamese dream yeah um i i'm on the record and i'll say it again and i'll say it to anybody uh smashing pumpkins as far as like a big 90s band holds up better than almost all of other 90s bands yeah i don't think anyone's fighting you on that <laughs> hey come <laughs> hey, dude uh, no, let this, go my shirt man they've <laughs> got a new album out uh oh yeah came out in the past couple of weeks called sire and they just uh, performed like you know a remote version of it on uh, i think it was late night and the album is like pretty synthy considering yeah. their sound over the years and uh Makes sense now. I yeah, would say. it's all right. It's not great. Uh, I know that Pitchfork didn't love it. I, th- I feel like uh, Billy Corgan did some um, irreparable damage with Swan. <laughs> Swan. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel yeah. like if he Swan. hadn't have done Swan, I honestly I think people would be like, "Oh, Smashing Pumpkins are the best thing ever." If he hadn't have done that little like <sighs> Swan jag. Um, this song is a jam. I should say this yeah. is only the second act on the soundtrack that's not from Seattle or Washington State, I guess. Uh, Chicago? Smashing. It's a Chicago band. Chicago. Yeah. Which I always thought was kind of weird. Shout yeah. out to Chicago, my friend Will. He's a listener living out in Chicago. Dan yeah. Baxter. Hello, oh, yeah. Chicago. Hey. What's up, Chicago? Second City. Garrison. How you doing out there? Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. 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 Stay inside Chicago. Yeah. This is back when Billy Corgan had hair. I was, yeah. I was, I was Googling. Yeah. I was like, whoa, because he's oh. been like, you know, shaved head ghost boy forever. <laughs> and uh, he has crazy like long hair in the in the uh, album cover for Dude, this. I was playing I was playing this song for my girlfriend, Steph, and she was like, I was a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she was like, no, no, no. I was a Smashing Pumpkins fan. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And she was like, no. You're not <laughs> listening like, <laughs> to us. And it's like, you know, there was, uh, was it the drummer was Asian? There was an Asian guy in the band. No, the, the, James was, Eha was yeah, the guitarist. E. Oh, it's a guitar player. And then yeah, there was yeah. uh, Darcy in, on bass. And it was Darcy. like, great band, great band. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, like uh, the hair. I was like, she said something. And I was like, oh, back when he had hair. And she's like, what? It's like he never had hair. Yeah. I was like, oh, and I oh, like yeah, he did. brought up the old photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, oh. He had a big falling out with Jimmy Chamberlain, the drummer, after a while. But yeah, yeah. this new album, Sire, is James E. Haw, Jimmy Chamberlain, Billy Corgan, mm-hmm. and uh, no Darcy. Mm. No Darcy. Darcy's just uh, not going to work out in the long run. <laughs> Some Smashing Pumpkins. Fleetwood Mac sort of situation. <laughs> Turns out it was all true. <laughs> Rumors? <laughs> Rumors? All no, true. it's all true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I didn't even know this song, I don't think. Or I, I mean, I definitely heard it before, but it, this is not on my radar as far as like Smashing Pumpkins songs. I like it. It's and good kind of mellow it, jam. It, yeah. it gets like less mellow as it goes, but it's still... This song is really, really good. I'll, I'll defend Smashing Pumpkins tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, 1979 sure. is one of my favorite songs from the 90s, I gotta oh say. Oh, my God, yeah. This song is playing uh, when Cliff is kind of... Uh, oh, yeah, this is a coffee shop jam. Coffee shop jam. He's uh, sort of using a muddled metaphor for how he feels about Janet. He's like, I used to live by an airport. <laughs> and then I moved from the airport. I miss those fucking planes. I miss those <laughs> Which like, kind of became a scene in Wayne's World where they're like laying under the airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> And they, you know, Wayne's World is kind of like, they've got the grunge style going on. Yeah, yeah. Same era. They would love, Wayne's World would love these guys. Bill and Ted as well were like a little bit 
pre-grunge in their style. There's Some of like, Keanu Reeves' outfits were like the Wayne's you know, World. They like love Aerosmith, which is like you yeah. see an Aerosmith hat in the scene in singles where they're reading where Eddie Vedder where they're reading yeah. the uh, review. Yeah, the Pearl Jam guys have uh, Aerosmith, Aerosmith hat. Well, there's, the, yeah. there's the the speech that Matt Dillon's character gives, uh, <laughs> which hilariously his band his bandmates don't give a shit about at all. They're like completely yeah. tuning him out, but he's like. The who at the kingdom? Yeah. It's like, where's our misty mountain hop? Oh, yeah. That was making me cringe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think it was supposed to. And yeah, then, yeah, that's the weird thing is that you're supposed to kind of hate that guy yeah. for three quarters of the film. And I then thought, he gives up on his dreams and now he becomes a good guy, yeah. I guess. I thought he was going to... After thought, a series of gestures. <laughs> I thought it was all going to end tragically for Cliff. Um, <laughs> it kind of does. You know, who knows? I just, um, at the end of the movie, almost all the guys have like given up on all of their professional aspirations and they've they just want to like find a lady that puts up with their bullshit i guess <laughs> well and so while the song is playing uh a little bit later it goes on for a bit uh this is when janet sort of checks in on steve and she's like you doing okay in here man and uh he you know in a move of desperation he like goes to kiss her and she's like oh you i I'm your neighbor. <laughs> like, he, got, he gets neighbor zoned, which is like, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, yeah, not even friends. Not even friends on him. She's like, I am your neighbor. neighbor. Remember in, that. In another dimension, I feel like you and I could have been a passionate. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I've never seen anybody get neighbor zoned. <laughs> oh, man. Neighbor zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Dude, that fucking character, he's like in his. He's like uh, greasy worst. Yeah. He's like faxing resumes to people <laughs> un- unsolicited. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's just throwing himself on any woman that will come to his apartment. Oh, man. I mean, people go through <laughs> that, you know? <laughs> but he, I guess he's happy at the end. We don't really see. Yeah, he's man. Really he moves out of his Linda place. Linda comes back. They move in together. Yeah. His place was big enough for two people. I know. It's gr- <laughs> like... I still Seattle like, looks kind of cool. Oh, you gotta see awesome. Seattle's fucking great. These giant apartments, and they're paying like next to nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah, there's I'm a couple a flower people that delivery guy, and I have this part time in a coffee shop. I'm just thinking about the a, musicians in Seattle in the early bedroom. '90s that were not grunge musicians or like rock musicians. They were just trying to make it. They're like, <laughs> what is going on? Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> Jump on it if you can. Well, guys, that is the single soundtrack. Hey! Well done. That was a good one. Thank you to uh, Billy Corgan and team for uh, bringing us home. We are going to have to rate this. Yeah, we got to rate and review this thing. I think, uh, as is our tradition, Chris has to lead off out of uh, fifteen. What did we say? Garage door openers. (laughs) Fifteen, which I don't think we talked about in the episode. We We didn't mention it once, but (laughs) uh, what is it? They really pushed it hard as some sort of metaphor for commitment. So hard, and it made no. Imagine the days where you were going shopping for a garage door opener. (laughs) I'm trying to think if and pick the best one. I never lived in Seattle proper. I'm trying to think if there was some sort of like a street parking neuroses that was trying to be. I don't. I don't think that's a thing. I think this was the um, uh, time in the world when everyone had like the club. Like yeah. carjackings were an all-time high. I'm sure. <laughs> were we supposed to believe that everybody who lived in a studio apartment had two separate garage? They had a garage for two cars. Like, 
above ground and below ground where they could be like well i've got my place for my car but if my girlfriend comes over i better give her a garage door opener just in case yeah oh i don't it, she gives one to louise at the very beginning and it's like a whole what thing a weird at the very end of the movie they like pan out over the neighborhood and you see the entire apartment complex and there's no garage there's no garage no, no it's it like <laughs> it almost looks like a cutaway to san francisco because it's on a slant yeah, it's very, like, that's yeah. like what seattle looks like yeah um, it's better than the cutaway at the end of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist where it just zooms out and it's like pin station. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful pin Beautiful pin station. Oh, um, I miss pin station. But anyway. So there's the garage door opener. And then also, just side note, there's this weird um, postcard we're supposed to care about a lot. Oh, yeah. That Steve's like, yeah, somebody sent me a postcard once and I wish love was that easy. It's two people kissing in a photograph. <laughs> and then it's like... You go back to it like nine times and you're like, he never said who sent it to him. It's just, a, a, I guess it looks kind of cool. I don't know if it was, you know, if it's an iconic photograph that I'm not aware of. Yeah, but. I mean, I'm sure it's going to hit you hard when you see that in a fucking pottery barn. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> all right, Chris. Anyway, all right. Zero to 15 garage, garage door. door openers. That's what points allowed. door openers. Clickers. Um, I mean, this I, I, en- I enjoyed this soundtrack immensely. I think even, we we dunked on Paul Westerberg quite a bit, but like I like the songs. Like I don't I don't dislike them. I am. I'm also going to have to ask you for your most favorite and least favorite tracks. Okay. Um, I think Drown. Uh, we just ended on Drown, and um, I think that's got to be one of my favorite songs on this. Um, you know, again, huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. We've talked about it. I think my least favorite. Ooh, unfortunately. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to say we gotta lose one of the Paul Westerbergs. <laughs> I can't. I can't, if we only need one. If I'm gonna kill a song off this soundtrack, um, it's gonna be uh, "Dyslexic Heart." I think uh, "Waiting for Somebody" makes a little. I don't know. They're the same song. They're the same song. So let's lose one of them. One of those two is my least favorite song. Uh, overall, I'm gonna give this soundtrack a 12.7 out of 15 garage door openers all right very good i I, I think it's a lot of clickers well i you know i think it goes with the movie well um you can't ask for a more prescient uh selection of bands in in 1992 and and filmed this what was it what was it filmed in 1991 filmed in 91 and like yeah i mean come on what what, what more can you ask for 12.7 all right thank you chris thank you chris nikki how do you feel about the soundtrack least favorite most favorite tracks I'm going to say for favorite track, I'm going to go with track number 13, Smashing Pumpkins Drown. Nice, nice. High five over Such the table. Such a vibey track. It, it was not a song great. that I was like super familiar with before listening to the soundtrack and watching the movie, but it's great, man. Yeah. It's deep, so fucking good. Early cut, Smashing Pumpkins. Early cut, yeah. Oh, man. Billy Corgan with hair. <laughs> You can hear the hair. I don't know, but you can hear it. Listeners. They're very gently slapping the Condenser mics, man. (laughs) Uh, Least favorite track, I'm going to have to say uh, just that like Paul Westerberg melody that's like (laughs) both of the songs on the soundtrack, which is... uh, So we're in in lockstep here. (laughs) Dyslexic Heart and Waiting for Somebody and then like peppered throughout the movie and like... The same. <laughs> You're doubling up. So there's some, <laughs> yeah. There's some bastards of young uh, acoustic riffs peppered throughout there too. If you watch the Amazon Prime X-ray, it keeps going. Like I'm like, what song is this? And it says "Bastards of Young," but you never hear any lyrics, and it's got to be the acoustic okay. version of it. But gotcha. 
replacements. Um, I, I mean, it's such a good soundtrack and it's such a good time capsule. And, uh, you know, like, I guess good on Cameron Crowe for like, you know, loving a music scene and what this is like the second movie that he directed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has its like, you know, little awkward moments and flubs at times throughout the movie. And But it's kind of a, a coming of age tale for Cameron Crowe directing movies, but it's yeah. a coming of age tale for the musicians involved and definitive of the 90s definitive of of the 90s both in movie style and music uh represented right pre-friends yeah and (laughs) i I would say you know like paul westerberg for for those uh kind of shitty songs like save it for friends he's on friends (laughs) (laughs) but uh i'm gonna have to give this a pretty high rating i'm gonna say a 13.2 nice all right caleb all right uh out of 15 uh least favorite most favorite Man, I was like a little bit caught off guard by how much I like the soundtrack. This is like a f- kind of grunge a f- is a spooky ghost. It's a famous soundtrack, <laughs> but I feel like the '90s to me, uh, I, the '90s sound has become so camp in my mind because I, I was young and I like lived through it, and some of it becomes you know a parody of itself. Obviously, you know I think that I was coming of an age where it was like you know bands like Creed and stuff were making that 90s sound seem so shitty but uh this is a great soundtrack I like the soundtrack way more than I like the movie the movie I liked fine it was definitely like uh reminded me of the first season of Sex in the City a lot of like straight to camera weirdness that yeah, I maybe that didn't breaking need. of the fourth wall I uh, agree with you as well the soundtrack uh, I like better enjoyed better than the, the soundtrack's film. really good it's hard to find a bad track in my mind I that's the, true. The Paul That's Westerberg, true. it's funny because... Uh, I don't want that to be my least favorite track, Waiting but it for is. Somebody, I actually really like that track, and I think it has a lot to do with the chorus, and that is... It, I gotta pick for my least favorite, Dyslexic Heart, because it's a worse version of the other track. Um, and then I gotta agree with you guys that Drown is my favorite. I gotta say, the, the Jimi Hendrix song, I actually love quite a bit. Yeah. It's like... Especially like Jimi Hendrix has become so famous for a, I mean he he didn't record a ton of music he didn't get to live very long but uh, there's like the classic Jimi Hendrix that you hear over and over and over and right. you, you don't hear that like kind of uh, I would say like kind of the acid folk like the slower stuff that he did and it's really really good. It's a song that makes you appreciate Jimi Hendrix more because yeah. you're like oh I don't hear this all the time and like yeah he yeah, like yeah. almost everything he did was pretty amazing. I know? recently it's such a huge bummer too because we talked about in the uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist episode uh, you know because one of the scenes was shot at Electric Lady in West Village which is the studio that he built right before he passed away. Yeah, He was on the verge of you know he had built his dream studio in West Village yeah. and then like passed away before he really ever recorded that much material there just he's ready to get to work yeah. such an amazing artist and yeah. i've recently picked up a couple of his albums on vinyl it's one of those things where you know i hadn't like really deep like listened to some of the deeper tracks and it's all really good mm-hmm. it's all really good mm-hmm. and that's a really good song but that smashing pumpkin song is a fucking jam and that's my favorite song off of the soundtrack i should say sorry, sorry, page. sorry i kind Jimmy. of i talk shit <laughs> about pearl jam sometimes the pearl jam songs on this soundtrack are really good this is a really good soundtrack Eddie i Vedder's am nice gonna guy. give it out of all of the clickers 15 being the maximum. I'm going to give this a 14.1 clickers. Wow. This is for this is 80s grunge, 90s grunge. <laughs> this is 90s grunge and this is a great fucking 90s soundtrack. Mm. And and it's it's all music that uh 
became way more famous after the movie soundtrack. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy that this it's soundtrack like, What exists. more could you want? Mm-hmm. It's fucking mm-hmm. bananas. Mm-hmm. All right. Very well, good. Yes, very good. Group high five. Hey! Group high five. <laughs> All right, before we go, we do have to add a song to the Track Lizzie Spotify playlist. Our favorite uh, solo act. Our favorite um, favorite song by someone having gone solo after their solo. first famous band. Yeah. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Chris, why don't you lead off? Yeah, I'd love to. I think we all might be familiar with this next artist. Um, his uh, name is uh, Diamond David Lee Roth, and he is a Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave, uh, you know the nutcase uh, <laughs> frontman <laughs> from Van Halen. Uh, he he did a um, he did a little album uh, called Eat 'Em and Smile. <laughs> and uh, what the you one, guys, that's with uh, Steve Vai, Steve Vai on guitar, who was uh, on Eat 'Em and Smile, Zappa guitarist, and that's where um, you I know that this is real, but when you say it, this is just a fucking Spinal Tap skit. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right? Eat 'Em and Smile. Uh, but what what you may not know is. Um, uh, Billy Sheehan. Who I was love the, Billy Sheehan. Who was the bassist. Yes. And, and, and you know, a, a fantastic musician, maybe not the best idea man, <laughs> had, the, had the bright idea. He goes, hey, uh, he read an article <laughs> that was uh, in, uh, in Mexico. There is this, this prime market that we're not tapping. So let's do Eat Him and Smile. And then let's, let's have David Lee Roth sing in Spanish. And then we'll just re-release this, but it's all in Spanish, and we'll call it Sonrisa Salvaje. So, uh... This is amazing. (laughs) I did not know this story. This is great. All the instrumentation is exactly the same, but the vocal stems are switched with uh, David Lee Roth singing in Spanish, and it was a huge bomb. So let's hear, um, <laughs> let's hear Yankee Rose. What? This didn't take off? <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> it was, uh, How? It was just immediately dismissed. <laughs> How are they going to be able to hear the music if it's not in Spanish? I know. It's like, but David Lee, I don't know if he learned Spanish to do this, but what? he's speaking. He might have, he must have known it beforehand. Well, maybe he's phonetic? Very okay, okay. But um, let's, let's hear uh, Yankee Rose um, <laughs> from Sonrisa Salvaje. Holy shit. Holy shit. That's amazing. That is some David Lee Roth trivia that I was not privy to. Man, it is one of my favorite uh, things that he's ever done. And Uh, all those songs are so amazing because it's the same (laughs) David Lee Roth, but he's speaking in like, you know, gringo Spanish. Estoy loco por los libros yanqueros. Shit, man. But, um, and you still got those pipes, but anyway. Thank you very much, Chris. Caleb, uh, my pleasure. Pleasure. pick for us <laughs> all right so uh for my solo my solo project pick um it's actually another song in a foreign language this is um cc yes we un rock star uh, i don't know if you guys know this track from 1981 this is uh from bill wyman who was the bass player from the rolling stones yeah. for for a long stretch and uh bill wyman a little bit of a dodgy character <laughs> sorted sorted uh, history <laughs> in the later say. 80s when i guess he was in i guess 
we can say generously is late forties. He married an eighteen year old who he'd been in a relationship with and then, for quite some time. Oh, and, and then quite his, some time. Yeah. His son married her mom. His son <laughs> married her right? his mother in law. It was a real fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah, but uh Oh man. So this fucking creep, he put together a song. It's a song about being a creep. It's I'm about scared uh, already. It's about being in in, <laughs> in Paris and uh trying to pick up a young lady and and telling them that you're a, but it's a really good song it's a really good song uh, it's a song I like quite a bit Bill Wyman CC Jess Wee and Rockstar sense of like appropriation going on in this song it is a weird fun song from a weird dude who uh wrote on those rolling stone coattails for decades yeah. <laughs> bill wyman bill wyman that was not what i was expecting to hear there's <laughs> like a king sunny a day track yeah, yeah. Some nigerian funk or yeah. something yeah. yeah it's good all right thank you nikki what do you have for us solo act i've got a song from 1980 this is a song by Paul McCartney, post-Beatles, off of his album McCartney 2. This is the song coming up. great song by uh, McCartney for McCartney too. I think there's some story that I was reading about recently or listening to a Paul McCartney interview where he was talking about recording a uh, band on the run. Yeah. I think it was around the wings time where he flew down to Lagos oh, where yeah. uh, EMI had a studio outpost there. Hmm. You know, EMI was famous in London and uh, you know, like where Pink Floyd recorded dark side of the moon. So they had the same console and you know, they wanted to get out of town to record that song and uh, Paul McCartney was telling the story about getting robbed in Lagos. Yeah, yeah. Well, his his when he was with Linda, most of his band uh, refused to go with him. Yeah, they were like, "What? Are you, what are you fucking crazy?" They just wouldn't go. So he <laughs> went. Like, no, we're going to we're going to do our Lagos album. Yeah, so he went on. down there. I think it was just him and Linda and maybe a couple of people. And then uh, yeah, he thought they were kind of joking with him when they tried to. And he was like, I don't know. We're getting robbed. We're getting, oh, we're getting robbed. Dude, uh, <laughs> getting back to McCartney, too. That's like a great album in the McCartney early too. 80s that came out that, <laughs> by all accounts, everybody hated. Uh, uh, critically, everybody shit on that album, which was just the McCartney alone in his. I, yeah, yeah. I, I have a copy of that record. I love that record. And it's definitely become like more of a, like a 
touchstone lately. This is like shamelessly the second song that I've recommended for oh, yeah. the uh, track listing Spotify yeah. playlist from McCartney too. I think I previously recommended Temporary Secretary. Yeah. Dude, I could recommend at least two more tracks from this album. McCartney is 2 a is a great, great album. album. It's a great album. And w- any day now, we are expecting uh, McCartney 3. It's coming out, I think, in the next couple of months. Oh, which did <sighs> like Egypt Station, I guess, came out recently, but that is just a... No, I mean, he's put out music for a long time, but he's putting out a, a McCartney 3, like a follow-up to his... Uh, his Not as excited about that. Um, <laughs> I, Wait, I, go on. <laughs> Tell me more. I would say, I think, um, I, I think that might be my favorite solo song from Paul McCartney. I think Say, Say, Same. Say, but he, I mean, he does that with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, that might be a close second, but... Um, yeah, I, I, it depends. Do you uh, do you count Wings as not being solo? Yeah, because no, he's, he's got a band. Okay, okay, you know what I mean. He, then I probably a, agree with you. Yeah, I, I was gonna say Wings falls so into. When that. I was uh, constructing the uh, the game, the uh, the round that had to do with Tom Morello's bands over the years, I was trying to do it with McCartney, and I tried to do it with Clapton. Yeah, and it's too hard. It's like you want to make it work, but Eric Clapton had that weird like uh, Maytals thing like right before cream yeah. uh, and like yeah. no one yeah it's not going to be worthy oh man well i just love what eric clapton's coming out with right now the all the anti-mask stuff oh yeah, yeah that's really good <laughs> <Very open. laughs> oh, oh my no. goodness oh, no. this is true <laughs> this is unprecedented we thought we'd escape the breaking news yeah. we thought the episode was over <laughs> this just in from spin magazine stand and deliver <laughs> the aggressive new anti-lockdown song from Eric Clapton and Van Morrison. Oh, great. These guys. Uh, It's finally finally an anthem to cognitive decline. We are recording this episode on uh, Friday, December 4th, 2020, and uh, the song is out today. Uh, This is brand spanking new. And uh, let's just, uh, you know, read a little bit of the lyrics here that clapped. You know, Van Morrison, that I think we had previously talked about, uh, had an anti-lockdown song. And mm-hmm. he decided to team up with Clapton and collaborate on some lyrics and some, uh, you know, very questionable blues music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to be a free man? Do you just want to be a slave? Is this a sovereign nation or just a fascist state? You better look out, people, before it gets too late. Well, let, we got we, we can't really judge the song without hearing the music. Let's hear <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> some of Stand and Deliver from Eric Clapton and Van Morrison. Just a fascist state You better look out people Or it gets too late I mean, this song could just be like, you know, a Tim Heidecker Heidecker and Wood, like Perry's I mean, fuck, man, like you know, Van Morrison certainly, you know, frustrated us with his anti-lockdown song. <laughs> and then 
you know, the the thing that to me is ridiculous about this is that Eric Clapton and Van Morrison are people that are set for life. Yeah. And they don't need to be complaining about not being able to play live shows. The people that are actually suffering are not writing these anti-lockdown anthems or attempted blues anthems. It's a terrible song. A couple points. Uh, First of all, they're talking about like, are we living in a sovereign state or some sort of... the uk has a queen right they're they're a monarchy still (laughs) so like i don't know yeah it's it's probably not a sovereign state right i don't know fuck you uh secondly i don't know how many amazing fucking rock jams came out of the influenza of 1917 (laughs) i don't i don't think many but uh Mm. i could be wrong these fucking old dickhead like right brain dead spring. fuckers <laughs> it just drives me crazy you know i, I mean they they are doing something right in the process you know regardless of their you know ridiculous anti lockdown nonsense where they are raising money for the arts <laughs> okay you know and they yeah. they are putting That's, money to, to try to help people that are Maybe suffering just, hey, thanks I, for seeing the silver lining i uh, i disagree <laughs> That's, uh, but to be a fly on the wall during the writing process would be uh, a dream of mine. Uh, just to like, okay, um, and maybe okay. Uh, do you want to be a pauper? Do you want to be? Oh, good, good. Write that down. Write that down. Sovereign nation. And then, uh, how about I do a solo here? <laughs> What, are you going to do something new? No, same thing I've done for 60 years. Yeah, same old bullshit. Yeah, oh same God. old blues bullshit. Musically, musically, I got to say, that's, um, you know, all politics aside, that's one of the worst songs I've heard. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's bad. It's pretty bad. It's a you bad know, We blues gave it a listen. Song. We judged it objectively. <laughs> I think God we... lockdown blues bullshit. I thank God we just listened to a good soundtrack because that's way worse than any song we listen to. <laughs> yes. Thank you to Spin Magazine for the excellent reporting. Yeah. Hey. That song is out today. Breaking thank news. You. End on a low point. You, you thought guys. this episode was over. It's never going to end. <laughs> <laughs> I did forget to talk about Weird Al Yankovic's uh, genius parody music video of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, which was us, <laughs> Smells Like Nirvana. And, uh, you know, on the drum in the Nirvana video, it just it says Chaka, which was a homage to a street artist. Nice. And in the Weird Al video, it just says drum. Drum. <laughs> <laughs> like, Weird Al's still making me laugh oh, after yeah, all man. these years. I love that. I, I, I've watched that video again and again and again on VHS. <laughs> I recently uh, watched somebody put together a super cut on uh, YouTube of David Letterman asking uh, drummers. Yeah. Whether their drums are your drums? Are their drums? These your drums? <laughs> Which used to be a thing, I guess, because he would only come over to a band if he liked what they did, and he just would ask drummers if they were his drums. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you see the thing about Mud Honey and David Letterman? No. no. So like Mud Honey, I guess had like played a show the night before doing Letterman and gotten in a fight. I think this was in Boston the night before they did Letterman gotten in a fight with the bouncer and like the lead singer just like performed on Letterman with a full on shiner and (laughs) Letterman was like yeah I was scared (laughs) I was was scared of this band (laughs) pretty wild yeah grunge is not a uh, genre to be messed with All right, we love everybody. Yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, whose pick is it next week? I it's think it might pick. be Chris's. Yeah, that's Chris's right. Pick. Stay tuned. Any ideas? You can't, are we going to oh, yeah. keep it in the Pacific Northwest? Again? No, this no, one is. This goes all the way Boy. down under. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our friend Yonzi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yonzi. We got, we got a few listeners in Australia. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.